Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hunting Seasons, the podcast that dares to binge watch, deep dive and break down a season of television each and every week. I'm Broderick Gordis. I'm Damask Leary. And today we'll be discussing season two of Atlanta. Damask, you were away last week, unfortunately, because you were not well. Did you miss me? Oh, I did very much. Although I've got to say, Kyron Kyron Morrison of the Dialogue Options podcast did a very good job standing in for you at short notice. Well, I mean, I appreciate the fact that he you know, did wear that wig that I made him wear to kind of emulate me as much as possible. So I do appreciate him being a good sport about it. it it's very important for the integrity of the show mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. our guest co-hosts to take on that role for us. Yes, it's very nice. How was your trip to Queensland? It was delightful. The weather was perfect. Um, and I believe the entire time I was away, it was raining every single day in Melbourne. So yeah. I was happy to be in the sunshine for a couple it of days. It wasn't terrible, terrible weather, but it wasn't good weather either. I mean, I don't much. mind the Melbourne weather really, but when I'm actually, you know, in sunshine, I'm like, oh, that's what it feels like. I remember. It is a nice reminder, especially in these mm. dismal, dark winters or what even yes. winter. You know what? It's still autumn. Um, that's really upsetting. Or did actually, actually today... Mm. No, it is winter now, isn't it? No, no, it's not. It's still it's still autumn. It's winter the twenty first of next month. God damn it. I'm sorry. It's winter the twenty first of next month. Okay, cool. I'll put that in my diary. Anyway, enough weather talk. Let's get off topic hot topic. Off topic hot topic. Uh, That's whatever you were talking about for you. So off topic hot topic is the segment we just about talk about things that aren't the TV show we're gonna be talking about for the rest of of the episode. We always start with a bit of Brian Fuller watch. Nothing to report this week, sadly. Gosh darn it. So, I've just gotten back from seeing Deadpool 2, which I think you saw before it came out, didn't you? You went to a critic screening. I did. I did go to a How did it feel to be part of high society like that? Look, it felt amazing. They had free alcohol. I got very drunk and it was a fine time. Wait, they provided alcohol for you to a critic screening? They had buckets of alcohol and wow. like free popcorn. It was amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, what did you think of Deadpool 2 since you saw it a lot, uh, earliest? Well, okay. So I really enjoyed myself. I think I, I went with my housemate, Joseph, because I got two tickets. So I went with my housemate, mm-hmm. Joseph, um, who is always a good time. We always, you know, generally watch movies with a bit of sparkling and have a good old giggle. And that's exactly what happened. We were laughing our pants off. I think we were probably the loudest and most obnoxious people in the theatre, but I'm comfortable with that. Um, it was a really, really good time. I, I did prefer I think the first Deadpool um because that was that was such a wonder and it was so so well done um so I think yeah the first is 
in my mind, better put together. There is a mm-hmm. lot happening in this second film, um, which which can feel a little convoluted at times. Um, I mean, I because I've recently, you know, been using Marvel Unlimited, so I've got a bit more knowledge of the Marvel universe um, yeah. and the different characters, which I th- I actually found useful as I was watching the film, which I haven't actually found to be the case um, with a lot of MCU stuff. Um, but this actually did help with, you know, the characters that they were introducing. I was like, oh, I actually know that character. I know they're a vague history of, you know, these characters together, which was really cool. Um, but no, I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. What were your thoughts? I um I agree with you pretty much exactly that actually it's I don't think it's as good as the first mainly because the first just seemed way more fresh at the time it was yeah. a breath of fresh air to have something that was sort of taking the piss out of superhero movies in the middle of this huge glutton of things this one came around and I like it's trying for something a little bit different it's trying to have a little more heart than the first one I think and I don't know if it actually paid off necessarily. In that regard, there's this, there's a message they're talking about. Uh, I don't want to give any spoilers. They talk about something, a a, <laughs> Ooh, a they talk about something. concept that has come up in a lot of superhero films, um, especially Guardians of the Galaxy, has mm-hmm. a similar sort of message going on in it without yeah. saying exactly what that is. That it just doesn't really earn that much, I don't think, earns that well. Um, I agree. I think like they, they certainly do try to make it more emotionally resonant and I think they achieve that within the first section of the film like I'm emotionally affected by what's happening in the film which is fantastic and then we have a lot of adventuring giggles along the way and then we reach that final point where it's kind of like this is the message of the film probably might be you know thrusting us into you know future films and this is kind of be this is going to be like the, the the crux of what this the series is going to be, which is fine. Um, but I it do, it does to me feel clunky the way that they get there because yeah. I think the way they get there is through dialogue, as opposed to just a kind of um, it's it's the kind of thing where they tell us and they don't really show us. Yeah, exactly. In, in I think it's, it's telling more than showing. It just yeah. goes, oh, and this now. And it's like, um, really mm. don't know about that. Yeah, I. I, I it kind of has some pacing issues as well. I think, um, mm-hmm. I just I found it a bit more uneven. I also think that I just maybe it's a film ruined by expectations, not just set by the first film, but by the marketing, which I thought was amazing. The marketing. I mean, for- I have listened to that Celine Dion song maybe a million times. Right. I love that. I love I, her. It's I so love good. Deadpool. It's so good. The the first film had a great marketing campaign. This one continued that trend and was just as good the second mm-hmm. time around. Somehow I thought it would, they'd get annoying and, and bullshit, but they didn't. It was great again. And the biggest problem was, though, I wish I hadn't seen the trailers because I feel like a lot of the best jokes were in the trailers too. I actually hadn't seen a single trailer. That so. might have helped, and I'm, I'm yeah. glad you did that. There was... Some oh, great I was cacking myself throughout the whole yeah. thing. I was yeah having a good old time. I also wish I went during a better time. When I saw the first one, I saw it on Valentine's Day, the day it came out, in a packed, packed cinema. And yeah. this time I saw it at 2.30 on a Wednesday and there was like <laughs> six other people in the audience. So yeah. there wasn't that whole, that sort of raucous energy to go along with it, which mm. can help with a comedy especially. 
Yeah, because obviously, because I went to like a critic screening, it was full and a lot mm. of the people there were clearly nerds. So I was like, oh, this is going to be a great audience. And then it started. And like I said, Joseph, my housemate, and I were the ones like really going for it with the laughs. Like we were super enjoying ourselves because um, I like I wanted that energy. So I'm like, you just need like that, you know, this first cu- couple of people that are happy to like laugh out loud and really be in it to kind of bring that energy up and I think eventually the crowd got there but it did take a little while yeah sure um there is another thing that that has been criticized as being problematic as well that's a very comic booky problem actually but I I won't bring it up now because there's spoilers but I I don't want to show this completely either um I, I did enjoy the film uh I just don't think yeah, I didn't like as much of the first one. It's definitely a film that if it interests you at all, if you like superhero films and you want a bit of a laugh, go see it for sure. It's it's not bad by any means. It is not even it's not even there's jokes that don't land, just they didn't necessarily make me laugh out loud like the first mm. one did as much. Um, yeah. Well, the girl yeah, I work with who doesn't watch superhero films have has not seen the first Deadpool was actually forced to go and see Deadpool 2 just last night with a bunch of her girlfriends and she was dreading it. She was just like, I don't want to go see this movie. I'm going to hate it. So I asked her today what she thought of it and she really liked it. Oh, that's good. She's like, the only thing I didn't get was like, I didn't know he had cancer. So when he made all these references to cancer, I had no idea what he was talking about. But but other than that, um, yeah, no, she really enjoyed it. So that's something. The other thing I did love about the film in particular was, um, is it Zazie Beetz as uh, Zazie Beetz, yeah. She was great and that character was so well realised in the film. Mm-hmm. There's a good, great sort of chase type sequence with a tr- involving a truck in the middle of the middle to back end of the film that is really great particularly for the stuff yeah. with Domino. And I, and I think- would watch a Domino film in a second. They get yeah. as many Domino films as they want. I think they even kind of comment on the on how well she is realised as yeah. though like it could have been so terrible because her superpower is being lucky. Yeah. And, um, you know, how is that cinematic? Who knows? Like how can you make that a thing? But they do it wonderfully. And well, they it's, do it effortlessly. It's a, it's, yeah, it's, it's a it's joy to watch. It's that little commentary from Deadpool going about, that's not a, super, that's not a su- uh, uh, superpower. How could you possibly realise that? Meanwhile, it's happening around <laughs> her. Like here as, is seven examples of how that is a superpower. Yeah, it's it, great. It was... Uh, was fantastic. I loved that. Uh, Damask, what else you got for us for Off Topic Hot Topic? Well, we were talking about true crime. So I watched Evil Genius, which is a Ooh. Netflix series. Um, true crime Netflix series, docu-series about a crime that took, I think it took place in 2003 in America. A uh, bank robbery that had some real sore vibes about it. Um, very complicated. But I'm going to say that... For such, so, okay, the setup is, and it's weird to say setup because it's a documentary series, but so a bank robbery takes place. This man has a, this giant collar around his neck that is a bomb. Um, He robs a bank saying, I don't want to rob this bank, but I'm being held hostage. Someone's put this bomb around my neck. Give me money. Um, The only money he takes away because he asks for 250,000. He only gets 8,000. He leaves the bank. The cops obviously surround him and he's, then left on, you know, on his knees, handcuffed. Um, the cops are kind of at a distance in, in case the bomb goes off, though they're not really convinced that it's a real bomb. He's adamant that he is a hostage, that, you know, he doesn't want to be doing this, that, you know, it's like I said, a sore situation. Like 
there's this weird thing where he has to follow clues so he can get a bunch of keys to let the collar off his neck. Um, but it sounds so fantastical. The cop's like, what are you talking about? This is ridiculous. You just want to rob a bank. Um, and then his head gets blown off. So the Ooh. bomb was real. Which So they then have to find out who put the bomb on his neck and was he in any way complicit. So that sounds like fascinating stuff, right? Like that is incredible incredible stuff to dive into. And I wish it was. I I, I feel like, and I I think it is there, like the fascinating story is there, but the way they structure it is that they re- they remove a lot of the the mystery to it quite quickly. Uh, um, yeah, no, I wanted it to be more fascinating than what it turned out to be, which is unfortunate. But you know, oh, if you are shame. on a true crime binge somewhere out there, then you know, try out Evil Genius. You might have a a different opinion of it. But you know, if I was going to watch like a true crimey type docu series on Netflix. I'd probably be more drawn to something like The Keepers, which is really good. I think that's an incredible mm-hmm. docu-series, more than Evil Genius, yeah. Interesting. Okay, mm. cool. Because this series is made by, I can't remember the creators off the top of my head now, they're the brothers, I think, aren't they, who also did Wild it's Wild Country? It's the guy that is- you love from, um, it's Aubrey Plaza, he's going to the future. Oh, from um, Safety Not Guaranteed. Yeah, yeah. that guy. Du- Duplass? Yeah. Duplass? Du- Duplass Brothers. Duplass yeah. Brothers. Duplass? Duplass Brothers, yeah. Uh, yes. I love that we is, just keep repeating it, it as though we're somehow going to find it and be like, yeah, no, that's the right one. <laughs> the yeah. But yeah, I have, I've enjoyed their stuff and the bits I've seen of Wild Wild Country I really liked. It's pretty amazing. They're just sort of like... Oh, they did Wild Wild Country content. as well. Yeah. Oh, I did watch that as well. Yeah. Did you enjoy Wild Wild Country? I did. Um, it was really good. And that's the end of that. They'll do. <laughs> so <laughs> we I was. Don't need to talk about I was. I mean, because my kind of thoughts about that was somewhat similar. Like, while I think Wild Wild Country sustains itself for longer, sure. it also has a kind of fizzled ending. Uh, I, okay. I think, but I'm sure others so disagree with me. So many of those do have fizzle endings, though. Yeah. There's only been one in history that's ever had a god huge mm. bang ending, though. And that's yeah, the but jinx. I also think and you like, should all watch the jinx. <laughs> yeah, but I also think like a lot of times it it feels like structuring. I feel like oh sure the way they have like you can look at all the facts and be like that's a fascinating story, mm-hmm. but the way they have pieced it together, kind of we reach our peak too early and then we have nowhere to go. Unfortunately, yeah. gotcha. Now last week we did a review of Picnic at Hanging Rock. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to hear my thoughts and Kyron Morrison's thoughts on that, please do. It's a two-hour episode with a bit of video game talk and then a lot of Picnic at Hanging Rock talk. Did you get a chance to listen to the episode, by the way? Um, I listened to your uh, no-spoiler review and then I think I listened to maybe 25 minutes of the spoiler review. And then you got exhausted and went, fuck Well, no, this. then I had to go to one of my many jobs. Oh, <laughs> I okay, did that instead. Um, what did you? I, I said then one of the things I was very conscious of about the episode is that it was two men talking about a story that's. I did about hear a that, and like you articulate that so well. Well done. Thank you. There was Thank also you. one point it. where you said you were rambling, but you were making like such great points. I was like, oh, he's such a smart cookie. Oh, thank you. Um, but I'm really, really curious. We haven't actually talked about this much at all. We had a very brief conversation on the phone last week quickly about it. Do you want to just give your overall thoughts on Picnic and Hanging Rock as well and how you felt about it? Absolutely. Um, okay. So when I, because I have not seen the film, I haven't read I mean, the book. I still haven't. I didn't get around to it. Like, I said um, like you mentioned in the actual podcast, is that 
myself, Kyron, and you are all from Bendigo. Um, we also we the both of us now reside in Melbourne, so we are very familiar with Hanging Rock. Um, and I had obviously heard the story of Picnic at Hanging Rock, and I didn't realise that it wasn't at least based in some sort of reality until I started researching for the podcast. I was oh, like, I'm so glad it wasn't just me. No, and I was, was like, oh, it's not based on anything. It's no. total bullshit. I had no idea. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> which yeah, was kind cool. of cool for me to discover. I'm like, oh, because I like as I was watching it, I was like googling characters, like to see what their real life counterparts looked like, and they weren't, they didn't exist. I was like, well, that is a shock. <laughs> um, so that was a bit of an adjustment, but I was like, oh, okay, it's totally fabricated. That's kind of exciting. But I mean, so if you're going to do a mini series with six episodes each, sorry, six episodes, it's because you want to dedicate more time to it than the critically acclaimed film could in a you know hour and a half two hour time frame that's yeah. why you kind of do this new adaptation that's why you make it a mini series that's why you give it six episodes so then you have to ask yourself what do they do with that time all of that extra time to delve into what this story is so, <laughs> so much. That's that, I said this to Kyra too. I love that sound. Just before you go into the, the review, that just that moan or that groan yeah. that just sets up the, what's about to happen. That was mm. perfect. So, <laughs> so much of the attention is given to the style of the show that it completely, well, not completely, that's wrong. It certainly lacks substance. Mm. It's such like an interesting time to explore, um, like as in like the time that it's set in to explore women or people of colour. And we have this house of women who are repressing one another because of societal expectations, but also they're isolated. So then you then delve into what's stopping them from reaching for freedom more than they normally would in their confined world that they have come from. And then you start to think of like, well, how do you maintain those feminine ideals when you're surrounded by a landscape that is that requires both physical and mental strength? Like, fine, if we can't understand the central mystery of like how exactly these girls went missing, like what really happened – that is totally fine. I'm very open to an open-ended story. All good. But we need to understand the people within that story. Yeah. Otherwise, there is no access point. 100%. So, if the mystery is just that with no way to understand it, that's fine. I then need to at least understand what we're doing here. Um, and I wrote a tweet while watching the season that said, this show has too many Dutch angles but not enough Dutch seawalls, which granted <laughs> is a stupid joke, one that oh, I great. It's a fantastic joke. relished and truly enjoyed, um, but a stupid <laughs> joke nonetheless. Uh, <laughs> but what I meant by that and what is at the crux of the issue is that the creative, uh, the creative team appear to be focused on celebrating their own visual style rather than giving the audience a compelling narrative. And it feels like a huge missed opportunity for Australian television, which feels like it's slowly dying. So I was I was quite disappointed with it. Well, I'm I'm sad to hear that. I'm glad 
on some respect that you saw the 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 show in a similar light as myself. That yeah. uh, that 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 yeah, I wasn't too far off base with that. Um, I just kept yeah, waiting for the time when we knew these people. I kept waiting for the scene that would inform me of who they are and why it's important that they were missing and why the story of those left behind was important. Yeah. And nothing I, seemed important. I, I 100% agree with yeah. with everything you just said. Do you have anything else on that or anything else for Off Topic Hot Topic you want to go over? I So, last night I watched the season two finale of Riverdale. Oh, yes. Season so two I've, is over. I've, yeah. So, I'm now completed season two of Riverdale. Um, and I need to talk about something. Okay. I have something to discuss. Um, so. Cheryl Blossom? <laughs> it's a six-hour lecture about Cheryl Blossom. I have slides. <laughs> Go to this link in the show notes. No. Um, <clears throat> I am sick. Sick, 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 sick of queer stories Queer characters. Okay, so you have these two queer characters. The writers have made this couple. They've put them together. And then as soon as they are together, those queer people suddenly become asexual as soon as they turn into a couple. Right. So there is a queer couple in season two of Riverdale. As soon as they are together, they share one kiss which is backlit, so you can't see a fucking thing, which feels censored and weird, but you're like, it's fine, it's their first kiss, let's move on. Then, so it's such a build-up, they really invest a lot of time in this relationship. And then from that point on, once they are together, all we see them do is stand next to each other, maybe hold hands, maybe brush each other's hair in like, as in like, I'll put your hair behind your ear, kind of nothing. Um, or, oh, you know what they love? What do they love? I like to call the lesbian side hug, which is the only, it's like, oh, these two girls are together. Watch them give each other a side hug. <laughs> like any kind of romantic relationship exists in that way. I find that representation just as insulting as kill your gays. Like we function just like the rest of you, uh, our relationships function just like the rest of you. So if you want to queer bait the queer community and be like, oh, you know, we've got a queer couple, come on in. Oh, it's happening. Oh, it's it's starting up. Isn't this exciting? And then once they get together, you kind of remove any kind of sexuality from them. It's awful. And we are given a pittance of anything of any semblance of a real relationship and it always happens in teen shows and I feel like I'm so passionate about it I'm probably going to write a video essay about it because I'm please, I, it, it, it upsets me so much but what is important well yes it is important to have queer representation this happens in teen shows all the time so it's really important to have queer representation but what's also really fucking important is to have representation of healthy queer relationships it's not enough just to have two queer people in the same vicinity it's not enough at all it hasn't been enough for a very long fucking time so if Mm. you're going to introduce a queer relationship then let's see a queer relationship thank you very much sincerely (laughs) Damas (laughs) Leary so that's my opinion on that 
I think you should definitely, definitely do this video essay. I would love to see that. I think you do such a good job of it. I mean, um, it's been discussed ad nauseum, but it, it just makes me ugh, so angry. Well, the problem is, as much as being discussed, apparently it's not changing. So yeah, true. I guess you just got to keep talking about it until it finally fucking does, hopefully. Yeah. I'm sorry to hear that, Damask. Uh, apart from that, can I just get quickly your impressions on season two of Riverdale, since I'm not sure if we're going to review it or not? <laughs> I really enjoyed it. <laughs> I did. I mean, it's a soap. It's ridiculous. It's very long. Um, but very long. I was in. It's a bit that makes me want to yeah, not do it. Yeah. Also, yeah. No, I don't, I don't think you should do it. I don't think you should do it. It was and funny. I, I was a bit sad after that finale went up. There was a lot of like talking about it right on, on the Twitter. And I may or may not have watched a three-minute video from like Entertainment Tonight or something like that, or Entertainment Weekly, just about sort of like where the season left off because I was like, I'm not going to watch the whole thing. Mm. And kind of going, huh, that's interesting. And then like, shit. <laughs> like feeling a little like, oh, what have I done to myself? I've betrayed myself. <laughs> Uh, yeah. yeah, probably not going to do season two of Riverdale. We'll see. We'll see. Mm. Um, but we should definitely move on to our spoiler-free review of Atlanta season two. Let me clue you in. Season in review. Atlanta season two, subtitled Robin season, returns to earn exactly where we left him last, sleeping in a storage shed, trying to make ends meet, managing rising rap star and cousin Alfred Paperboy Miles. The core cast and creative team of Season 1 return, including, of course, Childish Gambino and young Lando Calrissian himself, Donald <laughs> This Man Can Do Anything Glover. Season 2 is available to stream on SBS On Demand in Australia and premiered on FX March 1st, 2018, consists of 11 episodes, each coming in at around 27 minutes, and took us approximately 4 hours and 55 minutes to watch. So before we jump into the uh, the review itself, I just wanted to try and remember or recap our thoughts on season one. Do you remember sort of how you felt about season one, Damascene? Sort I have of no with, with clarity? Idea. No idea. That's all right. I, I went think, back and had a quick look I at my old I notes. I think I remember liking it, but still yeah, feeling like an arm's length away from it. I think we that we could did be talk about how it was a little bit foreign to us because okay. it wasn't really about us. And not that being How a criticism rude. at all. Not, th- not, not that being a criticism, but just being yeah. an interesting just quirk is what it is. of watching it. And mm-hmm. that did mean that it sometimes it felt a little, um, yeah, removed or impenetrable. That it, even the language and stuff sometimes could be a little bit denser than just because we're not familiar with the lingo sort of thing of that community necessarily. Yeah. Um, but overall, we enjoyed it. I, I gave it a four, four out of five stars. And um, I read my, in my notes, I said, found season one to be really enjoyable, relatable, yet also foreign, insightful, truthful, and strange all at the same time. There you go. That's how I summed it up oh, wow. at the time. I don't suppose you remember my rating, do you? Uh, I don't. I mean, you I care about yourself. I get it. That's fine. I think it was four as well. Okay. Uh, that was from my notes, not because I went back and listened to the episode, by the way. Okay. <laughs> so, Damas, could you please give me your spoiler-free review and thoughts of Atlanta season two? I would love to. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so with shows like Atlanta and Louie and Twin Peaks and sometimes even Master of None, I can very easily put them in the too hard basket. And by that I mean they are a little too cerebral and without perhaps a captivating emotional hook. Mm. And, you know, I might enjoy elements of them a great deal, I can feel my enjoyment of them limited. There's either so much absurdity or they feel emotionally barren that it becomes hard to be 
to feel immersed um, in the character. And for someone like me, if I'm not immersed in character, I can't lose myself in the story. Like I don't care how good it is. If I don't care about the people, I can't care about the plot points. In this season two of Atlanta, I did connect with many of the characters and I think obviously that's, you know, comes from season one as well. Like they were able to build that base quite well. Um, But even then, I still did feel in season one of Atlanta, I felt somewhat of a distance that I couldn't quite jump over because of those absurd elements. Um, It was a little too strange sometimes. Um, And that could be fun, but I couldn't quite fall in love, I don't think. But this season, I fell in love with. Uh, this show certainly fills itself with many absurd elements, which sometimes can get in the way for me, but not this season. Um, it like it becomes so absurd, this show, that you feel as though anything can happen at any moment. Sure. And because of that, when there are moments of tension or physical violence, like you wouldn't be surprised if someone died or if gravity was suddenly suspended, everyone just floated into the sky. Like literally anything could happen at any moment, which fills every single scene with possibility as well as dread. And it makes everyday activities and shenanigans have such high stakes. And that's that's a great element to infuse in your show. Um, but what I also love is... The people in those situations, these really precarious situations, are usually people we really care about. And Atlanta has done a very hard job, almost impossible job, of interweaving relatability into an absurd world. Like this show feels like a collection of short stories written by Edgar Allan Poe, but somehow set in Atlanta and in 2018. Like, the feat they have pulled off is incredible. And I've gone back and rewatched a couple of episodes because they are so wonderful and so terrifying and so immersive. It's an amazing experience, I think, to watch season two of Atlanta. And I'm so glad I did it because I think maybe even without this podcast, I wouldn't have got around to watching Atlanta for a very long time. But thankfully, because we do this, we kind of dive into things that we're a little hesitant to dive into. And a show like this is something that I'm hesitant to get into because it is so absurd, because it feels so cerebral. Um, that sometimes I worry when I watch shows like this that I'm like, oh, I'm not smart enough to get it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be really disconcerting and upsetting as a viewer, but that's not how I feel with this show. Even if there are elements that I don't quite understand, it, it makes me want to. It makes me want to re-watch an episode five times. Not only because the stories feel so original and immersive, but because I care about the characters and it's such a rich balance that I'm, I'm not even sure how they managed it, but I loved it. I love, wow. love, loved it. What were your thoughts? Glowing review. <laughs> Very <laughs> nice. Um, I think it's interesting you're saying about how immersive it is as well. This is, a, this is a silly little point, but I did you watch this on SBS On Demand? I did, yeah. 
I love I love that SBS has a service now. I got so frustrated every time a goddamn ad interrupted. <laughs> yeah, I know. While I was watching, I was like, go away. I yeah. live in a post-ad world and I'm actually into this I show. I started to get really angry and then I remem- remembered that, oh, the government keeps taking away your funding. <laughs> you know what? You do you, boo. Like, get <laughs> whatever money you need because <laughs> the government is not going to save you. That's a good point. Um, I felt uh, this was an excellent continuation of the last season. It's still very funny, very strange, as you said, and totally unique. This mm-hmm. there is there are similarities to other shows, and the one that often comes up in my head is Louis or Master of None in particular. I feel more and more they ha- share a kinship in some of the a spiritual kinship, but it's still totally its own voice compared to Master of None. But I think my, particularly my, this season as well feels like its own yeah. voice. Whereas like season one, I could certainly see like chunks of like Louie in there, which is great. Yeah. And I think paying homage to like that show is fantastic. But this one was certainly its own unique voice. Uh, like Master of None and Louie, this continues to have its great adventure slash topic of the week structure while also having a really nice but subtle um, story, strong story, I thought, running through the season. Um, in some ways, it's interesting as you said that, it's still got its absurdities, right? But it's... Oh, absolutely. It, it felt less... Un, uh, what's unbridled or unhinged in some way? Like, it's still strange, but in a way that was more psychological and grounded. Absolutely. And less, mm-hmm. like, weirdly sci-fi or alt-university. Yeah. So, I think like, psychological is the perfect way to put it. Yeah, It's psychologically yeah. That, unhinged. Yeah, it's like there's no, unlike the first season, and I, I hope if you're listening to this, you've seen season one, so this won't be a spoiler. There's no invisible car and there's no sort like black Justin Bieber equivalent. Like those, that sort of absurdity is gone. It's much more internalized or dark and disturbing at times even. There's one episode in particular that's really like that. A couple, actually, a couple now I think about it. Um and that works totally to its benefit. I, I think it's it's really great like that. It's and it's a grounded in emotion and a psychological um, sort of weirdness now. Uh, and it's a season in a lot of ways that is not just growing up as a show, but is about growing up, which is weird because I didn't see these people as necessarily being not grown ups. But it's interesting to see characters who are a little more adolescent than I realized having to to grapple with life falling apart around them um, in a lot of ways because of some things that are, are outside their control and a lot of it due to them their own shortcomings and mistakes they've made. And I really, really enjoyed watching that happen, particularly towards the back end of the season. And the only other thing I really wanted to express in the non-spoiler section was I'm just really, really glad this show exists mm. because it is so unique and so, so fresh and... Just uh, a diamond in the rough, and I I really enjoyed watching it as well. I think to some degree, I don't know if I found I'm as glowing about it as you are, but that's not to say it's not excellent by any means. Um, I but I, I really liked it. I really liked it a lot. What would your final score be for this season? I mean, my rating for this season is a five. I wow. think it is wow. incredible, incredible. Like this is such exciting television. And I think the fact that it is so bizarre, I think I'm just honestly surprised that someone like me could be so into it. Like I, like every episode I was like, where are you going to take me? I don't know, but I'm so interested on going on that journey. 
Like, I w- yeah, I was every single second. I was like, where are we going? Where are we going? Oh, my God. Where is this going? It's such exciting television. So, yeah, it's got to be a five for me. I think it's it's masterful what they've done. Fantastic. Awesome. I'm going to give it... <laughs> I'm going to give it a four, but I'm going to give it a high four. I'm edgy on a four and a half, and I wouldn't be surprised if what? my rating changed as we spoke about it more, right? Mm-hmm. So, when we get into the, the spoiler discussion, I get a good... There's a good chance... Because I don't, I have virtually no criticisms. It's just a general like, oh, that's just, that's my level of enjoyment upon finishing it. Right, as we talk about it, there's a good chance I'm going to walk away from it going, oh, I loved it more than I thought I did. Mm. But let's just say I'm giving a high four now. It is absolutely excellent, and you should definitely, definitely, definitely go and watch it. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Um, is there anything else you want to say before we move into our spoiler discussion? Now let's do it, buddy. You're now entering the spoiler zone. On this episode, we will be discussing everything that happens in season two of Atlanta. Before listening any further, we recommend watching all of Atlanta up to this point. If you've not yet done so, proceed with caution. There are spoilers ahead. You have been warned. Deep dive. It's cool to know other people think about this stuff too. So no story time with Damas this week, mainly because the show doesn't really lend itself to that sort of analysis or breakdown. This really, I think what we should do is what we've done with a lot of these sort of episodic um, adventure of the week shows. Just go through episode by episode. We'll try and do it pretty quickly because it's already going to be a long podcast. But let's start straight from the beginning with episode one, Alligator Man. As Robin Mm -hmm. sees and draws in Atlanta, things escalate when Ern and Darius pay a visit to Ern's uncle, the Alligator Man. What did you think of this first episode back, Damask? Yeah, I mean, I was a bit trepidatious about it. Like from what I said in my non-spoiler review, Worried that I was still going to be at an arm's length, that I wasn't really going to be able to be super engaged in it because of the absurd element. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there still were a few, I think, growing pains with this episode for me, just as a viewer. Not, I don't think within the way the show was constructed, but yeah. just for me. Um, but I really liked it. I liked seeing this side of Earn that... You know, we see flashes of anger, of frustration from him, but also complacency in the things happening around him and him not doing what I would consider the, the smart thing in those situations. What, what in particular are you referring to there? Um, you know, 
taking the gun. <laughs> yeah, that uh, was that was a bad, that was a bad mistake. <laughs> yeah. Um, I like they left yeah. the gun in the house. We find out later because I don't think we see him do that in the episode. But I sort of wondered why he didn't do that. Um, at the didn't end, didn't do episode. what? Sorry. He left. He left the gun in the house. In as in in um, uh, Alfred's house because they oh, fo- yeah, they yeah. find it when they're packing up at the end of the season. Because the time yeah, I was wondering, I- why are you taking that thing with you? Um, and considering it wasn't, he was just getting mocked at the end of the episode. I was yeah. like, just leave the fucking thing there. And he did just that. Just like actually. walk a couple of streets over, put it in a dumpster, and that's the end I of mean, it. Yeah, exactly. But I it. think that's you know important in Ern's character is that those things that you know people like you and I would do that would be like this is an easy solution to that I just have to do it Ern doesn't do those things and he consistently doesn't do those things to make his life easier Mm. throughout the season which culminates in a later episode as well absolutely so what about the opening scene of the season which it took me a while to figure out Mm. like I was like what's going on here these two characters these two shootout two yeah these two younger Black man, one walks into the house, the other one's playing FIFA on his Xbox or whatever. Anyway, they decide to go to this fast food restaurant and get drive through, and then it turns into uh, a robbery, and they jump in through the drive through window, mm. hold the place of a gunpoint, because it's actually a drug front, this place, Yeah, try to steal the drugs and end up in a shootout. Mm. My first thought upon seeing that scene was just simply, this is America, which comes up, <laughs> of course, uh, yeah, with Donald Glover or Charles Gambino, as I should say, film clip and song, which has been released recently during the run of this season, in fact, um, of This is America, which is a lot about the black community and violence and Black Lives Matter and guns. And it's like, oh, this sort of really speaks to that same theme and same discussion in a lot of ways. And it's funny because we never return to any of these characters or this situation at all. It doesn't affect any of our characters in any way. It just is a little portrait of Robin season and what Robin season looks like. Yeah. I think it's a perfect tonal positioning of the season. This yep. season is about precarious and possibly violent situations. Um, that will occur throughout the season. We know that wild and wacky things can happen and because of that, you know, violent delights, I mean, violent ends, totally. that kind of thing. It's a Westworld reference for those who haven't seen Westworld. Um, that is the world that we will be in. That is the world that our characters will be in. So I think tonally it's a very smart decision to introduce this Robin season. Like the way they've done it I think is very clever. What do you think about Robin season as a concept or as a subtitle? It's not often you see a season of television with a subtitle, and this one does. Does it? Um, does it? What does it say to you? Or does it speak to you? The same thing as this opening scene just sort of sets a tone for what the season will be like. Yeah, no, it's it says to me that the creative team behind it has a clear vision of what the season is going to be. This is like the stories that we are going to tell, um, and I think you know I've I've seen comments on the internet about how the creators behind this season wanted to I mean this season is you know exploring the horror genre in a lot of different ways Mm. and how to incorporate this idea of Robin season into it and how those two things converge I think is really interesting and the way they've done it I think is really effective but I like it to have like this focused theme for a season. It was interesting again, starting with Ern and his um, still in his storage shed mm. and being kicked out of that at the start of the season. And I've honestly, seen storage it was, was the same. It <laughs> yeah, that's right. And the guys like taking all the shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The 
something that didn't get answered all season, though. He got kicked out of there. We have no idea where he was staying. Um, it's never explained. He's not staying with Alfred and he's not staying with Van, as far as we can tell, or at least uh, for a lot of it, he definitely wasn't. Well, there's never answered where Earn was the whole season. I'd be, I wonder if we'll ever find out if that's even relevant. Yeah, no, I mean, the way they showed, like, in later episodes when he is just chilling at Van's house made me go, oh, he might stay a night here and there. Yeah. But the other nights he's probably just kind of, I don't know, walking the streets or maybe finding a nice park somewhere. Yeah. good chance he is completely but then again, homeless. We, we yeah. have seen his parents in that first season. So maybe he's doing a night here, you know, his parents, yeah. a night here at Vans. Like we don't really know. It's it's totally up in the air. I loved um, Darius's little side thing about Florida man, the, the sort of the Florida man yeah. myth as well. <laughs> Florida man, yeah. you know, Guns I down. Heard this many people. Before. You had heard of that? I, because I, um, I, I, I was not aware of this meme or conspiracy yeah. theory. I don't know what you want to call right. it, but I loved. It was such a Darius thing, and so well mm. articulated in its absurdity and its hilarity, and also in its like relevance in terms of like the way that those crimes are reported in the news. Um, yeah. I just thought that was very, very insightful yeah. and very funny. Florida man beats a flamingo to death. Yeah, you're yeah. Like, Ooh, it was <laughs> yeah. A Florida man. Yeah. Uh, one other thing I thought was was worth addressing in this this episode was directed by Hiro Murai, who is the mm-hmm. director of the majority of episodes this season, not yes, all of them, but is. the majority, and also the director of the This Is America film clip. So I don't think there's any coincidence oh, there. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. And apparently, he's been FX is trying to get him an original series as well, which is interesting. I think he is a very, very talented he is director. So good. Yeah, so he great. is incredible. Yeah. I mean, the direction in this season, I think, is something to behold. It's so captivating. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can't speak highly enough of him like i yeah i think his work is stunning absolutely stunning and this is coming from someone who doesn't give a shit about direction like <laughs> i mean you I, do you care about uh, yeah at least no the i can only absorb direction. it on like in more of a passive way sure. i'm like oh why did i think that was so good and then if i go back look at it look at it again in a more critical way i can kind of see that way but just like i mean most of the season i've only watched once through um and just that, you know, one-off time, it, it was so beautiful and every shot is so informed with character and tone. Mm-hmm. It's, it, yeah, it's gorgeous. All right. We're going to keep this moving. If you, if there's anything else you want to say about any episode, please stop me. Otherwise, I'm just going to keep on rolling. Episode two, mm-hmm. Sport and Waves. Al and Darius have become mysteriously distant while Tracy provides Earn with another way to make some extra cash while Tracy also prepares for his interview. Um, so this is an episode, sort of had two parts to it. The opening bit being where Al and Earn went to... Uh, like a technology company, like a social media company, and they're mm. sort of talking about how to promote Al further on that. And there's a hilarious scene at the start where every they're just trying to play his song and they bring on a CD. It's like, oh, we're sort of discless. We don't have disc drives here. My do head you, was in my hands. But mm. Yeah, exactly. Can I like, you got a USB? It's like, oh, do you have it on your phone? Just just email it. Just send it to me. Oh, just email it to me. Oh, oh, okay, I finally got it. Let's just make that work on the Wi-Fi. And just like <laughs> the technology just constantly failing when it was so yeah. simple just to have a fucking CD drive there somewhere. It was like get a fucking intern to run out to whatever like electronic store is nearby, get a fucking CD-ROM and just like plug it in somewhere. It, was, it felt yeah. like just a very direct like criticism of companies like Apple who try and 
and I think sometimes they do need to do this. Apple, but like, Google, Spotify, BuzzFeed. All but but especially of- Apple, I think, in terms of trying to push the next generation of changes technology by abandoning that which they consider obsolete. So the example being like the mm-hmm. headphone jack in the iPhone. And like yeah. the problems that causes for people in the intermediate before we get used to that. And then anyone who's yeah. still living in the old the old version or the analog is sort yeah. of just stuck going, I don't know what to do. Particularly for those that are living in what they would consider obsolete technology mm-hmm. who don't have the financial option to upgrade into something else. Yeah. I mean, if you're at home and just like wanting to make something with the people you know and it's printed, you know, print, printed, that's wrong, but, you know, like recorded onto a CD, then that's kind of what it is. And their refusal to acknowledge that people aren't able financially to keep up with them mm-hmm. is quite perfect. There was another spit later in that sort of early scenes where there's a conversation happening between Earn and Al and another rapper and his manager and then Al leaves and then some other guy shows up and there was just this great shot, just a very sort of wide angle side shot off to one side sort of to the left of the of the, of the the shot and of the framing of the shot and Earn just gets pushed out of the conversation, not aggressively, but just swings away from him and watching him sort of just like back out and leave that conversation. Yeah. There's no way for him to really say, oh, I'm going guys, I'll catch you later. He's just like... They're not paying attention to me anyway. I've got nothing to add to this. I'm not. I'm not meant to be here. I'll just. I just. Lo- I just felt all of that. I thought it was really well executed. Yes. Absolutely, and I don't think we understand the importance of moments like that until later in the season, which is so wonderful. Which is, if Earn wants to be a manager mm. and successful, he needs to learn how to interact in these situations. Networking, baby. Exactly, and while all of his you know, his friends and family see him as like an access point to the white world, we as an audience are able to see that actually he's not very comfortable in these situations either. While people might think like, oh, he went to Princeton, he knows how to talk to people, he needs to do in like, you know, an array of different situations. We we learn that that's actually not true, that if he is challenged in any way or feels diminished in any way, he can no longer function. It's only when he's bolstered up that he's able to function um, to his full capabilities. But if that's not happening, then he's out of there. He's not interested in trying to prove anything, which is a terrible kind of way to be if you're someone's manager and you need to be networking. Absolutely. So, into the second half of the episode, we sort of move into this phase where um, this money comes through for Earn after Darius traded. I can't even remember what it was back in the first season, but essentially they ended up with- dogs. Well, was dogs. Well, dogs, they ended up with dogs. Oh, right, right. So, I think, I think what happened, yeah. he said, you've got this money and you want to turn it into more. And so, eventually it ends up being dogs. And then this guy's going to hold on to the dogs or whatever it was and sell them later. And you're going to make more money from it. And lo and behold, the money comes through. I think that's fucking I know, hilarious. I was so happy when that happened. I'm like, oh, resolution for the dog story. <laughs> it yes. Because just, just- that was one of the few episodes of season one where I- that I really related to that kind of isolation you feel in poverty and like feeling trapped by it and not like you can communicate how vulnerable you feel. Mm -hmm. And so just have kind of a resolute like resolution on that story was really beautiful. No, I like that as well. And then from that (laughs) Tracy, this new character who we've not met before says, Oh, I can Mm. double that for you. 
with a scam involving involving gift cards. I'm just watching you on Skype shake your head. How do we feel about Tracy? <laughs> no, I, I like Tracy. I think he's a good oh, infusion I of don't. humor and charisma. Like I, I you know, I enjoyed watching him on oh, screen. Sure. Um but when he was saying that, I was like, okay, cool earn you put a thousand of your money into those gift cards if that happens to work out for you yeah. sweet you get some awesome stuff but three thousand cash is worth 4, way more on fuck yeah that's what i'm saying like if you put a thousand oh, into I the see. cards Sorry. and then you have three three thousand cash to spend on everything else like child support rent groceries all that stuff you know maybe rent like or buy a shitty car like that's way more important. And then you got some gift cards that you might actually get two thousand worth of a thousand that you put into it. Like that's that's how you do that. That's how a manager does that. And this is just another example of Earn not seeing things clearly. Yeah. Um, wanting to um appease those around him who he sees as being cool or Hyper masculine or something that he can look up to, um, wanting to be a part of that community, wanting yeah, wanting to be accepted by it, and so doing things that are counterintuitive to his success. Yeah, it is. It's a yeah, absolutely. It's another great example of that. As you said, there's numerous examples throughout the season. One other just little moment I want to get to before we move on is when Alfred just straight up throws his phone out the window of his car because basically he has a dead number at this point. He shares his number <laughs> with one person who's a fan or whose sister's a fan. Um, this guy's setting him up with weed, I think. It's apparently a great product. But then mm. instantly his phone is blowing up with text messages from, the, from people trying to and putting him in group conversations and stuff like that. And he's just like, fuck it, this phone's dead. There's yeah. no point holding on to this anymore. <laughs> The rose down to the street. I love that moment. I, I love that because we've all been there where you're like, I hate these people. I wish I could throw my phone out. Yeah, but just, yeah, no wonder. Just a dead number. Anything else about yeah, that episode? I think that all the time when you message me. Great. Um, no, I don't have any other notes on that. All right. <laughs> episode three, Moneybag Shoddy. Earn struggles to shake his broke persona while Al and Darius pay, pay a visit to Clark County, which is who is another uh, rap- rapper we've met in an earlier episode. Um, I may or may not have Googled red-handed during this episode. <laughs> <laughs> to find a clarification on whether it's racist Yeah, or not. Van, Van plays Earn and says that... Uh, or is it, Yeah, sorry. Is it Van that does it? Yeah, to, to Earn. And says that red-handed yep. is a racist remark. It's about like American mm-hmm. Indians. Or I should say yep. Native Americans. And then she Americans. said she's joking and then she's not sure then if she's it's like, actually am a Am I joke? joking? <laughs> actually, that does sound vaguely racist in real life. I thought that was great. Yeah. I was like, yes, I'm going to check that. I oh, know it makes sense. I did check it. It means like blood on your hands. I was like, that makes much more sense, really. Mm, but but yeah. certainly. I, well, I, was, I, I read something not recently, but like a couple of years ago. And I was like, I'm not sure about that one, which was um, apparently when you say, a, when you call a spade a spade, apparently that's racist. Really? But I I'm but no, there's no confirmation of this because I research because I read it in like a comment somewhere, and then I tried to research it because a, a spade is a derogatory derogatory term for some people. I don't even remember what who it's derogatory derogatory to because mm. I'd actually never heard the insult spade. Um, but I always thought it had to do with cards, as in saying like what you've got is what you've got. You know what yeah, I mean? That's what like I would a spade have thought is too. a spade. Yeah. Um, it's not a heart, but, it's not a diamond, yeah. Yeah, I think because that word spade 
is apparently a bad word for a section of people, then any kind of way that word is used is derogatory. Sure. But there's no I haven't seen any actual link to it. So I think that's probably just people projecting onto it. But who knows? Quite who possibly. Knows? I'm happy to be corrected if that's wrong. So this episode is again sort of broken up into a couple of stories. The Darius and Al one is basically just them in a recording studio with Clark County and the real hilarity of that episode is just watching Clark get more and more frustrated. Like he's got this beautiful nice guy persona. Um, he's really, really great at sort of being friendly and amicable with with Paperboy. But then when his audio technician stuffs up, just this really amazing sort of veiled aggression is yeah. so, so I funny. love the layers in those moments. Yeah. Like we see when Paperboy and Darius come in and they've got like weed and the guy's like, oh, yeah, no, that's awesome. That's so fucking cool. Um, yeah, totally like blaze up. But, you know, I don't do that. And then Paperboy's like, oh, don't worry about it. Like, we've got some Hennessy. All good, all good. Let's drink this. And the guy's like, yeah, no, that's awesome. Oh, fuck, that's so sick that you guys brought yeah. that. Uh, but I don't partake in me. that anyway. So you're like, oh, this is like kind of a clean cut dude that's kind of trying to like make his way in the hip hop world. Um, but he just doesn't partake. Like He's more career focused and he doesn't want to get fucked up. That's fine. And then he gets into the studio. <laughs> And he's a fucking terrorist, apparently. <laughs> like, I was terrified. Like, it's so laid and it's so interesting. And this is what I'm talking about when, like, every episode I am just in it. Like, I am captivated, one, by the interesting dynamic of Clark County and Paperboy. Like, Paperboy's all about the life and Clark County clearly isn't. So, that, like, dynamic is really interesting. And then we have Clark County then go into the recording studio and become really about that life yeah. and be like, I will, f- my people will fuck you up if you make a mistake. Like, I'm not someone to fuck with. Oh, it's just like, there's so much going on and it's so interesting that I am there for every second. It's great. The other storyline, the one that involves Ern and Van, for, the long, for a long time mm. was my favourite thing that had been going on in the show at that point. And so... Ern's coming some money. Van was there? What was that? Sorry. <laughs> and we all love Van. We all, we all love Van. I said, do you love it because Van was there? Yeah. She, she is fantastic. She's got so much charisma and just beautifully acted and really enjoy anything with Van in it. But the, the, just the, that storyline of Ern's coming some money. Yeah, let's set up the town and, and go for it. And he's getting around with $100 notes. And apparently the, the bit at the, at the cinemas when like, oh, we can't actually take $100 notes without what they want to do, like an ID check and then all this sort of stuff. And like, no, don't worry about it. And then walks away. Mm. And then a white man walks up and hands a $100 note over. It's not a problem. But then without even looking at him, when he starts to like make light of that, just shows the gun on his hip. And it's like fucking hell. That's so violent. Yeah. Like what a violent show. Yeah. Yeah. And then, but then it on and on yeah. goes. I mean, I th- Sorry. Yeah. It's a perfect, you know, because in the first season we have that, episode where Ern tries to take Van out but he doesn't have any money yep. and it's really stressful and now he does have the money it's still stressful. and he's not allowed to spend it yep. like he's like no matter where he goes they're like 
I don't want your money. I don't want your money. Oh, I'll take your money, but I'm going to call your money fake. Like it's so fucked up and it's so like systemic and yucky and oppressive that like I think it's really important for people like you and me, like white people who have never experienced anything like that and I don't think I ever will. Um, Like I think it's really important for us to kind of see that and how that can slowly like degrade your pride yeah absolutely yeah and so one of the things to me that i was just loving i just thought this was donald glover um just really doing a great job of being hilarious like not Mm. not hamming up anyway this isn't troy from community but just very 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 just timing and little facial expressions and just his performance in this episode was fantastic the writing was great and it all came to a head in terms of its hilarity for me when they got to the strip club. And, like, things mm-hmm. like the PA announcer who's, like, <laughs> calling him Talking out. Talking about for- his Coca-Cola sh- shirt. Yeah. yeah. And just, like, you know, making sure he pays the stripper that he took a glance at as he walked past. And, like, just mm-hmm. thought, I thought that whole thing was was absurd but hilarious. And yeah. all that was really funny. And then watching them, like, he goes up to break a... a hundred dollar note and they're like yeah we can do it we're gonna take 20 percent off the top and it needs to be a 200 dollar minimum and it's like fuck it it's like but as someone who's been to a couple of strip jobs in my strip clubs in my life mainly for bucks parties and when i was in vegas because what how could you not that's exactly how it works <laughs> it's it's like that's but so not i've only that been to one truth. strip club and it was with you um, yes. it was quite an experience <laughs> it was look we got the late shift um <laughs> it wasn't great you had a good yeah. time you had a good time yeah, we did. Was there anything else about this episode in particular you wanted to comment on? No, nah, I don't think so. Cool. I just thought, I, for me, I was... I mean, actually, no, it was just nice to see, uh, I was about to say, Zazie Beats oh, and Earn, but... That's true too. But, that's, uh, but I just love her. No. Um, to see Van and Earn just kind of chilling together and just kind of hanging out, like, I really enjoyed that. Do you believe them as a couple? And I think that's important. Couple? Pardon? Do you believe them as a couple, Earn and Van? Yeah, I believe them as a cool, casual couple. Yeah. Um, but I also believe them in moments uh, when there's more complication as well. I can see them being two young, cool kids who like really fucking get each other and vibe off each other who have somehow ended up in this complicated situation. I totally get that, yeah. Speaking of complicated relationships between Earn and Van, we move on to episode four, <laughs> Helen. Earn discovers, segue. Earn discovers just how weird white people can be when he accompanies Van to a traditional German festival she frequent, frequented as a kid. This episode is directed by Amy Simetz, um, and the actress who plays Eleven's mum's sister in Stranger Things, just so you have context for who that person is. Thank you. Yeah, there you go. I just found that out earlier today. Um, Some great moments in this episode as well. The best one, the first one being when there was some talk about like some blackface stuff that goes on at this. And when Ern walks in at the start (laughs) and this woman just comes over to, runs over to him, he's like, oh my God, it looks so, and goes to reach for his face, thinking that it's a friend or someone she knows in blackface and then just has to like, realizes it's actually a, this is an African American human being and has to like walk away. The Can is I just so, say Yes. It took me so long to realize what she was doing. Right. I was like, does she think he was another black man and she's embarrassed because she thinks all black men look the same? And then I was like, and then I remembered obviously they have a black face character. I was like, 
oh, <laughs> she thought she was a white man in blackface. And then I laughed for approximately five minutes. But it took me a really long time. Like, what's her deal? Why did she make that face? That was but once the- I got there, I was like, oh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> That's it's really good. A, it's a fantastically <laughs> awkward, awful Do moment. Do you have a mask? Yeah, it was very There's good. a lot of great stuff just around this weird, mm. like... German festival thing that's going on. This, you know, October festival type thing. White people are so fucking weird. The bit where they're playing the game with the ball. I feel very comfortable in saying that. Absolutely, we're weird. (laughs) Yeah, there's well, there's more of that that comes up when they do the bit on the campus as well. The the fraternity. It's just like, yeah, white Mm. people are fucking weird. But the the bit that the no wonder they're all rapists and serial killers. Fucking hell. The the bit they're playing with the ball. They're bouncing the ball or passing the ball to one another, and they're trying to dance. And then he just has both of them and puts them in the thing, and they just everyone stops. And like you're expecting it to be like you, he's fucked up somehow, and they're just like, "Yeah, what did you just do?" It's like, "How did you do that? How did you do that?" And just like becomes like the king of the festival in that moment. Yeah, very funny little things like that. But then, of course, it becomes a very serious sort of um, examination of the relationship between Earn and Van, and particularly mm. Earn's complete selfishness in this relationship as well and just where the two of them are expectation wise in what they want from each other or expect from each other where they think they are and there are some yeah. fantastic conversations taking place between the two of them especially the ones that evolve around the table tennis table um, and then ones that are taking place with other people so Van with that guy who speaks German from that was the bartender and so forth and what did you find what do you think of all that stuff yeah I mean for a lot of the episode I was like Van Oh, sorry. I mean, Ern, like, I know that you're not into this, but, like, you need to make the best of a bad situation. Like, mm. he's such a negative Nancy. Like, he will not get involved in anything. Um, and I think that's just a perfect example of these two people wanting something from the other that the other can't give. Um, but I also think it also it informs what we come to learn about Ern is that if he's in any way diminished – he can't function. Yeah. Um, so we see that obviously he's out of his element in this situation, which is fair enough, but then it's really cemented when they have their table tennis thing and then he's like, oh, well, I would never humiliate you in front of someone. Mm. And then there's that like, creepy guy standing behind them. But the real thing is like he, he cannot be seen to be lesser than. Um, and if he is, it takes such a toll on him mm. that it just infuses him with anger and he can't see past that anger. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a really important step for them to take. Like, I love this episode. I think it's important for them to be like, you can't give me that and you can't give me that. We need to separate. Mostly because I'm excited to see where it takes Van in yeah. the future. But, yeah. Definitely. Now, it was, I, I, I felt, you know, that feeling... It's a familiar one of, you know, wanting different things out of a relationship and how that can drive people apart and being forced in a way to have that inevitable conversation that could have been coming, you know, how many times have they got close to having this conversation before and this just happens to be the one where it finally comes to a head and just that, there's a, a real sadness there. There was a lot of me just feeling that Earn was a fucking idiot as well. Like I've written, oof, Earn, yeah. fucking idiot, like stuff like this, just as I react to what's going on. But the other thing, and so I really appreciate that about the episode. I agree, it's a great ep. But the, I also want to talk a little bit about the conversation they have towards the end when they're talking about what they want. And maybe I'm reading too much into this, but I thought some of the language that Van was using, or what they were both using really, maybe was suggesting, was almost like a mini conversation about 
not just their, what they want, but also kind of about gender equality, which again, I think might be reading into it a little bit because I don't think it's overtly about that, but it reminded me of that conversation. But no, but that's like the beauty of this show though. Like the more you watch, the more layers you see. So if you see a layer immediately, I don't think you need to discredit that. Be like, maybe I'm reading too much into it. I think it's perfect perfectly within the realm of possibility that is totally infused possibly and it's a a reason i wish i had watched some of these episodes more than once i have only watched them once at this stage but i think there'd be a lot to be gained by a second viewing the 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 elements i'm talking about specifically is they're talking about what they want and van is talking about wanting to be treated like a person versus Ern, who says i don't really know what i want but this arrangement works for me and so having one wait for the other half to do their end of this bargain in this sort of like relationship that they're in, but being tired by it, having to fight for it because the other side doesn't leave the other one any other options. And I thought there was a really good articulation of like why things like feminism have to exist. Like she's just wants to be, or women just want to be treated equally to men and men kind of just are in a lot of ways disinterested or fight against it because why would they want things to change? They're happy with the way things are. And then when people say, well, why does feminism have to exist anyway? You know, surely it should be just fighting for equality. And it's got to do with, a lot of it's got to do with the men who aren't doing their side, their bit to make this equal. They're not giving things up or they're not, they're not allowing women into their, their world that's sort of created for them. And so, of course, the women are tired of waiting of and are going to go out and fight for it because the other side won't for them. Yeah, I, I, I yeah, found that- no, totally. Yeah, I think, and it, it's like, yeah, with the character of Van realizing how damaging to the self waiting can be for the other. Yeah. In order to like to wait for the other person, um, in to complete this ideal of what you want them to be, which I think you know traditionally is probably what a lot of women do do they you mm-hmm. know they're they have been housewives and they've been focused on the kids and trying to create a perfect family and how much that can damage your self identity like who are you at that point if not you know she's she speaks many times about just being seen as Lottie's mum or yeah. just being seen as Ern's baby mama and yep. her loss of identity which i think is shocking to viewers because we see her as van um and i think you know i think collectively we all love van but she feels as though she's lost lost herself and so i think we as viewers feel that loss as well for her because we do see elements of her independence of how beloved she is by so many people around her but because her relationship with this man has diminished her, she has allowed herself to be diminished, which is unfortunate. Let's keep moving on, unless there's anything else you want to say there. But episode five, Barbershop. I think I'm going to do this one very quickly. Um, Al runs into a series of obstacles while trying to get his hair cut. I think this episode is cute and very funny, uh, uh, but silly and slight. There's not, I don't think there's a lot to it, except a great joke with an excellent punchline. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think this episode speaks to a larger theme concerning Al, which I and I think it informs later decisions he makes. And also, we see through this episode, we see 
some very definite choices he's making which are interesting. So in this episode, and I agree it's cute and kind of just a bit of a romp and it doesn't, I think, it doesn't feel like it's informing the rest of the season a whole lot. Um, no, you're right, but, though. Thinking back on it and how the yeah. season ends, actually, the ending of this episode does say a lot about... Yeah. Al, but what we right. see is, throughout this episode, we see Al, who is loyal to this one person, mm-hmm. um, who is very comfortable with relationships he knows, and the kind of guy who will just kind of roll with the punches because it's easier to do so. That's what this episode is. And then it's drawn out to the point that... Too he reaches his he reaches his limit and he's yeah. like this is fucked like I this I can't keep doing this and then he's like nut you're done you cut off I'm going to someone new and then he goes to someone new it's a closing scene and he realizes the person that while yes very fucking annoying and while very detrimental in a lot of ways does know who he is and what he actually wants as a person. Yeah. Um, and I think that is very informative to his relationship with Ern. That's actually extremely true. And thank you for pointing that out because as soon as you started saying that, I was like, oh, you're fucking right. And I, I hadn't really, in the moment, I was enjoying you're it. You're welcome. You know, I was, in the moment, I was enjoying it as just being a really funny little romp, as you said. But getting mm. to the end of it and sort of going, oh, yeah, that was that was good. But it didn't, it didn't have a depth to it that other episodes did in the moment. This yeah. one late, now reflecting back on it, you're right, has a lot more going on yeah. for it. I think as an episode in and of itself it is far less engaging than I think any other episode of the season. It, it's it's my it spoiler alert it's my least favorite episode. <laughs> oh yeah, me too. <laughs> but not cuz I don't think it's yeah. good but just because for the exactly what you're saying. Com- like comparatively, I yeah. think yeah, that's just kind of where it stands unfortunately. All right. Let's keep moving. Episode mm-hmm. 6 Teddy Perkins. All right. When Darius goes to pick up a totally piano, Totally normal. He meets we Teddy don't Perkins. need to say a thing. What was that, sorry? I said, totally normal. We don't need to say a thing. <laughs> Darius gets to pick up piano. He meets Teddy Perkins, a strange, eccentric man who makes himself makes him feel uneasy. So, <laughs> this this it's an got understatement. A, yeah, this got a lot of attention on Twitter in the moment that it happened. So I was aware of it coming up. I'd seen photos of Donald Glover as Teddy Perkins, and so I was aware mm-hmm. that this was coming. Um, which I think may have spoiled it a little bit for me. I wish oh, I was watching it in the shame. moment, only because I was a little bit prepared for it. Um, what did you think of this episode? And specifically, yeah, go on. I hadn't heard anything about it. Oh, I'm so glad for you at all. Um, yeah, no, I didn't see it coming, and it started, and I was like, "What is this?" Um, But as I went into it, I kind of like, I think this was the moment that cemented my love for this season. And I'm not just saying that because it's a wonderfully put together episode. I'm saying that because this episode is so out there. It's so absurd, but I was incredibly engaged throughout. And I think the fact that this show can pull off an episode like this and allow its audience to be so engaged is incredible. I think this show has like laid these seeds of absurdity, but also laid these seeds of care for their characters that you can have an episode like this and have characters that are completely out there, but still have your audience genuinely worried about the outcome. 
I was shocked by what I was seeing, but I was there for every second. I remember when it's finished, I pressed pause because I didn't want the next episode to start and I just wanted to sit in it, sit in what I had just watched and appreciate that I had really experienced a moment of great television. Totally. The it's interesting you're saying about this eccentric out there character. The thing that I like about the character though is that there is an element of reality to them because we know of people who are like this, at least from a outsized celebrity perspective. But obviously, there's similarities to say a Michael Jackson in a lot of ways to Teddy as well in terms of the way he, of his appearance and the his the way he speaks and those sorts of things. And so, yes, while he is really out there 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 was an element of familiarity of going and that anchored it a little bit in in the real world as well which i really liked um did you like donald glover's performance as teddy i didn't know it was him didn't you really (laughs) until um afterwards okay like i wanted to know who teddy perkins was and then i think like halfway through i went to i like was googling it and like because it says teddy perkins as himself Mm in um the credits um so it doesn't really come up when you say who played teddy perkins it doesn't come up um it was very frustrating for me but i i got to a stage where i'm like what's well, a, a shorter guy it's not glover sh- donald, donald glover's show so i kind of i assumed it was him yeah. but i didn't have any actual knowledge that it was him until well later when i was doing my research um I think it was great. And I and you know, I agree with what you're saying about the familiarity with, you know, that kind of narrative that we have heard from stars like Michael Jackson with very abusive fathers yeah. who as um black men have um altered their appearance in one way or another. Mm-hmm. And then it's interesting to see the 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 shame, I guess, of that built onto Teddy Perkins. Like it's a, it's very interesting and I think that's like this story would not be as interesting if it was just like a crazy old white man. Yeah, totally. In a building. Like but this really fascinating character who was brought forth because of a violent um beginning mm. seemingly devoid of love. Um, it's all about you need purpose, you need drive, and you compare that with the character of Darius, who is so open to things and so loving and so curious about everything. Yeah, it's and and because of those factors, we really care about him, and we don't want him to be hurt, but we also love his daring nature, and kind of love that he is fearless in that situation. We're like, yeah. I'm going to walk to this next room because I'm Darius and this is what I do. It totally fits for him to be the one that did it. It wouldn't work for any other character. He's um, it's Al great. would have run the fuck out. He was like, you are crazy. I'm out of here. Yeah. Erm would have done the same thing. He's like, what the fuck are you talking about? I'm out of here. But Darius would be like, I'm going to see where this where this goes. This could be interesting. I love the um the moment to start with him as well when he gets the um Made in America or whatever it is hat. You, oh, oh, it's, yeah. It's, you, yeah, the you mad, you he mad. Does, yeah, yeah, I love that. I thought it was just just a great little touch. But the no, the uh, he's a perfect character for it. He 
He's the only character that gets to happen to. It's great to give Darius his own episode because he's mm-hmm. so often just the side character, the B story or the C story or in the background. Yeah, it so was the Darius episode we all needed. It really was. It's the longest episode of the season by a margin. Mm-hmm. I think it's like 30 episodes. And I love they did that because you probably could edit it down to something shorter, but you would also lose the mood of it, the feel of it, which would really suck. Mm-hmm. And then this very- The pacing. It's a very get out sort of- Episode as well, right? I was getting interesting because he's in Get Out. Yep. Pardon, what was that? Interesting because Darius is exactly. In Get Out. I know how hilarious is that, knowing he, <laughs> he he has a part in that movie as well. Can I just say I didn't know that he was the guy from Get Out? Oh, really? Until this episode in which he's like standing. This like things have already kind of gotten weird, um, and he's at the I think the door and like. The U-Haul is parked there and the car's behind it. Yeah. And you see him turn towards the house and you just have all that greenery in the background. And I saw the worry on his face and I immediately flashed to his character and get out. Flash is a great word, by the way. The flash went off on your phone. streaming down. And I was like, oh, my God, you're the guy from Get Out. Fuck, you're amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have any favourite moments? I think one of mine was when um, early on in the episode, Teddy's like... Uh, Darius is like, your butler or whoever hasn't brought the water. And he's like, oh, that's just oh for me to remind myself of things. And he presses the button and one of his messages to himself was just, wash your hands immediately. And I just pissed <laughs> myself. <laughs> well, that was such an amazing, amazing little message. Uh, I can't wait to rewatch that episode. <laughs> so many moments. Um... Well, I mean, just the like the breaking of the ostrich. Oh, egg, the owl the casket, shell, the gooiness <laughs> of it. Um, I think they call it, like an owl, an owl casket, owl casket, which is so gross. Yep. Um, the entire time I was like, if he breaks that open, there's a fucking bird fetus. <laughs> I will projectile vomit everywhere. Um. I just love the reaction of when I think what's his what's the brother's name Bobby? Uh, let's say Bobby. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, Darius comes across him and he writes a little note of like a guns in the attic, and I just love Darius's reactions of like, "You're fucking crazy." Like I know you're Teddy. Like this is so dumb because I think that would be a rash. Like I feel like that was a viewer coming through being like, "Okay, sure, yeah. there's an attic in the gun." Ooh. Um, I also just love the bit where he goes like, why can't you get it? And Bobby's just like points at his wheelchair like, (laughs) duh. (laughs) Anyway. Yeah. No, I I think it's just a wonderfully constructed episode and so tense. And yeah, no, I loved it. So unique. So Mm. amazing place that this show can go. Episodes- I'm really happy that I got to watch it. To be honest, Like this this is what this season has done to me in which every episode I was like... (gasps) Thank you. Like, thank you for letting me, like, watch this thing that I could never have conceived of. This is really special. Thank you very much. Episode 7, Champagne Pappy, I think is how you say this. Van and her friends Mm -hmm. go to Drake's New New Year's Eve party hoping to meet him, but things don't go as planned. So, this is the other episode that's directed by Amy Sametz. Um, So... There's a few things to talk about in this episode. I want to get your impressions first. What Did you like this episode first and foremost? I mean, I love every Van episode. Sure. <laughs> that's, just, that's just what's going to happen because I'm very attached to her character. <laughs> and the actress. Um, 
Yes, like, yes, the actress, but more literally I'm very attached to Van. Sure. Like, I want her to be happy and in a good space. Um, so there were elements, and I think this season they've spoken about this um, in the media, it certainly has horror elements throughout. Mm-hmm. This one certainly has less of that, but they do have those unique moments. Like we have when the girls all go in the van yeah. and the van driver's like, oh, I'm going to take you back to my place. And you're like, you realize how vulnerable yeah. these women are. Yeah. And then the same thing happens when Van is in the party and she's just alone with that one guy who's like showing her like the bathroom and where to find a charger and stuff. And you're like, <gasps> probably don't go to an abandoned space of a mansion mm. with a guy alone. Like that's actually quite dangerous. Um, so I like that that kind of ties it into the rest of the season. It doesn't feel as high stakes. And I understand that this is a further exploration of Van wanting to find substance within her life, but not knowing where to look, which is really cool and interesting. I just, I just kind of want more. Like I want at least one more episode of Van to kind of get somewhere. But also makes me excited for maybe next season where we might get that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I loved watching her. I loved watching her friends, particularly the one that was stalking the black actor, I think, and the white woman that he's with. Yeah. I, ve- so I very I want- much enjoyed that. Well, I want to talk about the that confrontation scene, scene specifically. Okay, so yeah, yeah. What were your impressions of the scene where she like they have she confronts the woman about? I mean, I found it hilarious. It also did remind me of Save the Last Dance, um, classic film, in which Julia Stiles starts dating an African American man, and her sister says, um, "Yeah, people are going to be mad at you because." It's an insult to black women when a man dates a white woman because it's like, who the fuck do you think you are kind of thing. Um, so that was my interaction to that kind of race relations conversation was Save Last Dance, which is a terrible example. Mm-hmm. So I found this conversation, one, fucking hilarious, so well-written, so funny, and also brought up some things that I was like, huh, yeah, I mean, that's a good point. Because first the white woman is just like, oh, well, maybe I'm, you know, just a good person. Like, I've always been there since, like, you know, when he was poor and had nothing, like, I've always been there. And she's like, bitch, that's because you're privileged and you can – Fucking waste five years of your life waiting for a man to get his shit together. I don't have that privilege. I've got to look after myself, which made me go, huh, that's a good point that I hadn't thought of. Did, what were your thoughts on the interaction? Well, I, I don't ha- – I, my thoughts are – it's interesting because when this episode came out again, fucking Twitter ruins everything for me, there was a bit of a discussion about how this – some found this conversation to be a little problematic – Particularly some, I think... Sorry, can you repeat particularly, that? So, there, I think there was some contra- controversy around this conversation. I think particularly from some African-American women who felt like this was... They painted this... The, the black woman in that conversation as being hysterical or over the top and that the white woman was the one who was painted as sort of being... While there might be some valid points in terms of like you were saying about privilege in there, they felt like that in that conversation, 
the uh, the who the image that was projected about black women was one of hysteria in this situation. And the reason this was a problem was a it's directed by a white woman, but also it's written partially at least by a black man who is partner is white, in which case is Donald Glover. And so to have the that voice or the black woman express that in a entertaining but maybe slightly hysterical maybe more than slightly hysterical sort of over the top you're overreacting sort of way, some people found that to be um, a little tone deaf or a little bit problematic for them. I thought that was a really interesting perspective because on yeah, the surface, I mean, yeah, I, mm. I agree with what you're saying. I think that it does bring up some interesting points about privilege and so forth in terms of, you know, being able to wait and having those other options and so forth. But I did see why people might have found that to be have been a poor reflection of of or mm. if it represented them as a black woman was a poor reflection for them. Sorry, what do you think? I understand I understand that. I hear that. I take that on board. Me mm. as a white woman viewing that, I did not that was not my interpretation of the black woman in that scenario. I thought she was Yeah, 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 that's interesting. well argued, articulate. While she was having an emotional response I think I understood her emotional response, so therefore it removed hysteria from it. I think the the, pro- um, the problem you can be is emotional without hysterical. You know what I mean? And I think I think partly <laughs> it comes from a, the the problem comes just from the circumstances in that hmm. she doesn't know these people. She's just drunk at a party and has decided hmm. to inject herself into this their lives. It's like if this was happening to her which you might argue in some mm-hmm. ways in a very broad uh, sense it is as a, as a member of the community, but that's those two people have nothing to do with her. And so for her yeah. to interject herself into it and to impose that view on this woman was a part of the problem in the way it was perceived as like what her intentions were, where it came from. Yeah, no, I, I, I understand that. I don't, I don't want to discredit yeah. that response at all. Like if people are offended by that, then that's... Fair enough, um, but li- but like I said, as a white woman, that certainly wasn't my interpretation. Sure. I thought it was like well um, heightened because it was a comedic scene, and so that's where that element of like, well, she doesn't know them; she's just one of these people at a party and has an opinion about it. That that is part of the humor of the scene. I think if it was a personal involvement, it might remove some of that humor because then you like you're like, oh, I feel really bad for this girl. Um, but yeah, no, I, I don't think in, in my mind as a white viewer, as a white woman watching, it didn't invalidate any of her opinions. I thought the scene was very funny. I saw her side of it. I also saw the white woman be like, I don't know how to handle the situation. (laughs) I'm going to leave. And I saw, also saw the side of the black man who was like, I've probably been in this situation 10 to 15 times. I'm also going to leave because this is just like the situation we're in. But yeah, but no, I, I, I certainly don't want to invalidate anyone's um, opinions of it because like I said, it's, it's, it's not really representing me, so I can't be offended by it. But I, I didn't think negatively of the black woman in the scenario. Sure. It was, it was interesting as well when it just came up, this whole 
discussion because it was the first time I personally have really seen any real criticism of Donald Glover as an artist. I've, the only mm. other criticism I've ever really seen of him has been <laughs> as bad as, oh, his performance in The Martian wasn't that good. Like, literally, that was it. He gets held on such a pedestal these days, mostly because he's doing great work and he's multi faceted and multi-talented which is great and i i and personally I, I i think he's fantastic but it was it is refreshing sometimes to see someone go well he's not that great and you know remind you that no one's perfect and everybody has you know artists have issues and he is one of them yeah i remember back in the day the criticism of donald glover was that he's too white mm. to speak for the people which is interesting. I think that I think we may have moved past that thanks to things like Atlanta. I think so, I think so too. It's like yeah, it's yeah, interesting having too. that after watching the OJ Simpson thing where it talks about like him not really being much of the part of the black community. Yeah. But thinking I'm not black, I'm OJ. I, I do yeah. think that Don Glover is doing a lot for the black community though. So even if you think he's too white, he uh I think he is vested interest in his black yeah. black background. I think that was people's opinions after he came from like things like community, community. and 30 rock and yeah. then started doing his rap stuff. Yeah. And people were like, um, who the fuck do you think you are? Absolutely. Uh, was there anything else about that episode? I just like the whole concept of like they're trying to track down Kanye to get an Instagram pic. Drake. Drake, sorry. Drake. They're not all the same, broad. <laughs> uh, this shows how much I know about rap, <laughs> I guess. Hippity hop. Hippity hop, yep. <laughs> the... Uh, but that when they you know find out they're just taking photos of these cardboard cutouts or whatnot that they're charging twenty dollars for it or thirty dollars and you get a free thirty dollars to get these free Puma slides. I thought that was just a hilarious <laughs> way of phrasing that. You pay ten dollars extra for free something. But the and there's a lot of discussion about how nothing is real and like everyone's getting these Instagram pics which are just going to be even if they did meet Drake it would have been for five seconds to get a photo to boost their mm. online profile which. It's that's so fake as it is. Why not just make it a cutout of Drake? It's pretty funny in its sort of um, lambasting of that idea, anyway. Um, yeah, it's perfect. I, and then also, I just wanted to also quickly bring up as well. This is a good episode for it. How much social media plays a part in this world? Social media is absolutely critical at all moments, and it's such a great reflection of the now in terms of how we interact with one another and communicate in the world we're in and and present ourselves to the world. Yeah, I mean, this episode starts with Snapchat, um, right? Van's friend, you know, posting a little Instagram story or whatever, mm. talking about going to Drake's New Year's Eve party. And then we also have that wonderful footage of that white woman complaining about rap music, yes. which is Fantastic. hysterical based on a, a real-life thing. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's an element of our, of our lives and I think it's weird when shows don't include that. Yeah, I just I just love how much they embrace it in this show and they don't forget about it at any stage. It's always there, ever present. Um, shall we move on? Yeah. Episode eight, Woods. After getting into an argument with his girlfriend, Paperboy storms off, gets mugged, gets lost in the woods and meets a creepy old man who won't stop following and taunting him. <laughs> so, what did you make of this episode upon first impression? As it was happening at the end of it, what did you what do you think this episode's about? Oh, um, I don't think it, I've really been able to solidify my thoughts on this episode. Do, do you have any feelings? Is there anything that stands out to you about its potential meaning straight away? 
All right, I'll, no, I'll, I'll, I'm, I'll I'm telling you, you. I'm, I'm sensing that you do. No, so well, the thing ahead. is, I don't have a clear idea of it, but I think I sort of know mm. what it's getting at. I just couldn't mm-hmm. tell you what if there's anything specifically it's trying to articulate. But there's a couple yeah. of things, a couple of clues in here. The first one being the opening scene, right? Oh, the mum, yeah. Right. Is that the one where he's yeah? So he's sort of on the couch and sort of has this like daydream about his mum just being mummy. Basically, being yeah. a mom and telling him, oh, it's time to get up and do some cleaning and stuff like that. And then sort of the almost like the, a cloud goes over the sun. It just darkens in the back room and then mm-hmm. she's gone. And we realize that she was never, she wasn't there at any stage in that house on that day. And that he was sort of like being taken back to a moment. And it. Yeah. Half asleep kind of. Yeah. Yeah. And he. Half asleep wishes. He was. On has a conversation with Ern on the phone briefly, and Ern asks, "Is okay?" And so it's never explicitly said, but we, sh- I think, we understand that yeah. this is the anniversary, probably, of when his mother died, which, at the end of the episode, is dedicated in loving memory to Willow Dean Kiss or Kearse, who we, I believe, is Brian Trey Henry's mum who died in an accident. Yeah, in it is. Recent, reasonably recent times. And so this is sort of like when we talk about getting lost in the woods, it's sort of that expressing, with without, again, articulating anything specifically, expressing that idea of just being without a parent, someone who was there to right the ship for you and, and keep you on track and on course and then to feel lost metaphorically without that person around anymore. Um, and such a achingly beautiful, especially that first scene, that hit me real hard yeah, of that. It's wonderfully done. Yeah. yeah. It, it kind of made me wonder if the opening couple of episodes when um, Al and Darius are kind of distant, especially Al, might have had something to do with that as well, because it's never explicitly said that she died. It's just to be interpreted. Um, but I, I, wasn't, I still don't know if that's the case or not. Well, they, no, they talk about her being dead in the first season. Oh, do they? I don't yeah. remember that. There you yeah. go. Cool. Yep. Um, yeah. So, with that in mind, how did you find this episode? I really, I mean, enjoyed feels like a weird word, yeah. but I, so we have those, you know, that first scene with Al kind of obviously half awake, kind of seeing slash wishing his mum was there, being the comfort, that steady place in his life. Um, obviously awakening to a messy house, um, Darius hanging out, being his, you know, beautiful but chaotic self and um, Al going and hanging out with, I think her name's Sierra. Yep. Um, who is, you know, even Darius says like, oh, is, you know, is she a girlfriend? Which means that she is has been around for a while. Is probably someone he spends a bit of time with. Um, so that's cemented in our brains and we see moments of them in the car where they are kind of bonding and they have that connection of knowing what it means to be known and the responsibilities of that and the weight of that and it's nice to see him kind of connect with someone on that level and have that understanding which is which is really lovely and then obviously things go downhill and she is not that person that is going to um, steady him, you know, I think, in the way that he's probably looking for, that he probably craves from the energy he got from his mum. And so he goes off. 
and to in order to keep it real to um stay true to himself yeah. he goes off and i think this is a mistake that Ernst makes quite often as well um in order to stay true to this idea of themselves they probably make really poor decisions mm -hmm. and so al meets you know these young guys and <laughs> I did not see it coming that they were going to rob him. I'm like, oh, it's so nice. They really appreciate his music. And can I just say that scene where Al is being robbed and they are shoving a gun in his face, the fear we see. So what? Do you, what's the the actor's name? Um, the actor is Brian Tyree Henry, I believe. I'm going to call him Brian. I'm Go sorry Brian. if that's too familiar. Um. The expressions on his face, the, I think, wonderful choreography of that scene. But I, the entire time I was so worried, and I think I spoke briefly about this in the spoiler-free section, is like, because of the way this show has taught us to watch it, we feel like anything can happen at any moment, whether it be the most absurd thing or the most violent, horrific thing. You, you don't know. And so throughout that scene, I was like, oh, like I can imagine Paperboy slash Al being killed. Oh my, please don't let that happen. And he's filled with so much fear and he is grappling and he's like, I am there with him throughout that scene. I think it's an incredible scene. It freaks me the fuck out. Like it's so violent and no one gets shot or anything, but it feels so, so violent. Mm -hmm. And then he runs into the woods and we see his absolute vulnerability. Like when he's lying down, like I, I just think it's wonderful. What'd just you, that whole sequence. What did you think about the ending when he comes out, finally escapes the woods mm. after sort of going around in circles and then goes into the convenience store and the guy recognizes him. And we've had so many people recognize him at different times mm -hmm. and just annoy him. Essentially. Mm -hmm. He had no time for them. And to, in that moment, sort of just like go, Oh yeah, let's do it. And, plays the part of the like um yeah i think it's it's very indicative like before that he was probably happy to go along with Ernst's bullshit of like oh we're kind of doing like sub-level kind of shit or whatever and like slowly maybe make his way towards something um but i think this episode was very vital to getting getting our from that place of complacency to saying mm. that where he is now is quite dangerous like you never know what's going to happen he wants security he wants safety he wants to be out of the position he's in and this is that like violent reckoning of like either you do it or you fucking stay here and bad shit happens and so this is the moment where he like he literally he goes through it he comes through the woods and sees like, yes, like I naturally don't want to be like, oh, cool. Let's take a selfie. Let's do all this shit um, that I don't want to do. But that is part of, that is a rung on the ladder to getting to a place where I have as a black man, as a black man that has been seen as a threat and intimidating and something to take out by not only uh, white society, but also oftentimes my own community, this is a rung on the ladder up to a place where I don't have to worry about that shit anymore. And that's the place that I need 
to be to feel safe. And yeah, no, I think it's really important. All right, let's keep moving. I think you articulated all of that beautifully, but we are running out of time. Episode nine, North of the Border. Earn Paperboy Darius and Tracy North visit the campus border. where things escalate. What was that? Sorry, as soon as I saw this episode title come up on SBS On Demand, I got um under the boardwalk in my head. So ever since <laughs> really? then, whenever some I read it, I was like, North of the border. Do, 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 north of the border. Anyway, go on. Um, this is sort of the start of the end of the season in a lot of ways. I think we're moving into the third act and we're starting to put the urn... Because a lot of the time, a lot of the our main characters, especially the main tree or main four, I guess, have been separating their own stories a lot through the middle of this season. And so we get to have them back together. This is very much about Urn the Major and Paperboy the Rapper and Darius, who's there, um, doing their thing and especially examining where Urn and... Alfred are at um, and so essentially Earn has got them involved in this free gig unfortunately and got them this terrible free accommodation set up that is just destined to fail Tracy comes along who yeah is a rogue element an awful element that you don't want in any situation who is a big part in escalating when things go bad but was sort of set up to to become a problem as things went along anyway. When we sort of things go bad after the concert and the boys run away and they end up at the fraternity and they just, it's Earn and Paperboy sing on the couch. I was really so engaged in that conversation and having them start to, to have Earn really start to realize that he wasn't, um, that Alfred really, was considering getting rid of him completely and what his perception of him was. What did you think of this episode, but especially that scene? I loved this episode. I think mm-hmm. I one thing I one element I really enjoyed about this episode is that we do see the two different perspectives. We see how Earn is not up to the challenge. Um but in the scene we also don't know whether Al is. I mean, I I think he thinks he is, but he's worried about letting those closest to him go, which I think we saw earlier in the barbershop episode. Um, but after last episode, we know him to be desperate. I mean, that's why he hired Tracy, because he feels like he, you know, might actually need a bodyguard. Um, he needs to know that Ern is desperate too which I don't think Earn has been for a while, even though he's homeless, that insatiable drive in him mm. has gone and he has lost his way, I think undoubtedly. And I think this is a really big moment for Earn to kind of realise how close he is to losing everything. Yeah, no, it's um, it's a really great frank conversation that just really sets the... Um characters up for where they are in relation to each other and where the story's going to go in the future, what the stakes are, I think is probably a good way of putting mm. it um, for these two and their relationship. For me, one of the best elements of the episode was actually what came after that. The Later on, when they're back in the car and Tracy is like they've had to well, what's happened. Sorry, I should go back a second. They finally get back to where their car and where they were meant to be staying. All their stuff's been thrown out on the lawn. It's been torn up and Earn's laptop is nowhere to be seen. And he is fucking furious. Mm-hmm. He's 
really finally had a consequence that's reflected back onto that's him his life, in a big yeah. way. And he they get in the car and Ern is just not having it. And Tracy is sort of trying to make light of it in a way, but in a way that's also really demeaning of the Ern in particular. Mm-hmm. And the I personally felt that frustration and that anger towards Tracy it was very familiar towards for me. Mm-hmm. I was like, I totally understand where Ernie is. In fact, in my notes, as he was doing this, I said, Tracy is the sort of person I would love to punch in the face. Well part, uh, acted part though. Then moments later, Ern's like, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's have a fight. And I was like, oh shit. <laughs> I, I absolutely felt what you you're feeling. You made it happen with sheer will. I kind God. of made it happen. You willed it into existence. Yep. And I just felt that, that I really, I don't know. I just, I thought it was a really well, uh, constructed scene, and it, I, it, it, it was so true to me of feelings that I've had when someone like Tracy just sort of blows into your life, seems unaffected by all of this somehow, but also instrumentally a part of why it's so bad, yeah. and just a person I would never want to have in my life. And if they were somehow stuck in my life, I would just, oh yeah, angry, violent thoughts into your head. And I also love that that he actually does get out and fight Tracy, and Tracy beats the shit out of him and Ern just has to <laughs> sort of swallow his pride and get back in the car because what else is he going to do? Yeah. Um, what did you think about that ending of that episode? I mean, that buildup of frustration, I think, is palpable and the audience feels it. I mean, when Tracy is going on and on and, of course, I mean, we have all been there where someone like that is kind of poking that spot in us that is – it's, it's the button that we don't want poked and this person knows that and they continue to do that no matter what you say and you want to be like, fucking pull the car over, I'm going to beat the shit out of you. But most of us don't have the ability to beat the shit out of people. I know I certainly don't. <laughs> um, so while I love that we have this moment of like, fuck yeah, and like he's got enough self-respect to do that. Um, he gets out of the car and gets his ass fucking beat. Like he gets <laughs> pummeled, which I think is perfect. I think Ern wants to have that position of that kind of big, strong, oftentimes toxic masculinity of like, yeah, no, I'm the boss. No one can fuck with me. I need power all the time. Otherwise, I feel powerless. And this was a situation, generally, he can kind of shut down his emotions and just kind Mm -hmm. of go with the flow, but we still see that frustration in his head. This was a time when he just could not do that because the one thing that no matter what was happening around him, he felt like he got power from was the fact that he was Paperboy's manager. That now feels very tenuous. He doesn't know what's going on with that situation. So he has lost that sense of power. And for Tracy to continue to diminish him is just too much. And so he needs to exert that in the most basic masculine way, which is like, I'm going to fucking fight you. And he loses. Like at this point in the series, in this in the season, Earn has nothing. He's lost Van because he refuses to commit to her. He refuses to acknowledge the importance of their relationship. Mm. Um, he, because of his lack of willing to um, 
reach out of his own boundaries and make connections and do absolutely everything he could possibly do to further Paperboy's career um, because he is so, I think, prideful. Um, he His career with Paperboy is falling away and now just simple, you know, male pride is being taken away from him by Tracy. Like he he has lost everything. He doesn't even have a fucking home. Um so how else to express that anxiety, you know, in that toxic masculine masculine environment but to show it through aggression. Let's keep moving. Episode 10, FUBU. A flashback to Ern and Al's adolescence where the authenticity of Ern's shirt is embarrassingly embarrassingly called into question at school. So this was the second episode directed by Donald Glover after Barbershop. Um, and yeah, we see a young Ern and a young Al. Um, I really liked um, Al's actor in particular. Yeah, I thought he so did a good, good job of doing the same sort of mannerisms yeah. as um, way, older like, Al. Yeah, way of speaking. It was great. I also just love the little um, flashback to the 90s um, in terms of just the the vibes of being at school and like your kid's bedroom and thrift stores. They're talking about Dragon Ball Z. Just seen that episode (laughs) of Dragon Ball Z last night. I was like, fuck yeah. yeah, I was a kid of that age as well. Yeah. Exactly. Cheese TV. Exactly right. That's an Australian reference for those overseas. Um, The thing that the overriding thing that I got from this, I think there's a lot of things to take away from it, definitely, but the... The focus on the on the expectations in terms of you know being authentic and having to having being told what you have to be and that if you aren't that and you're found to be fake that that's going to haunt you for the rest of your life. Um, on one level, just that idea is very fascinating. Particularly the end, I thought was really when they start talking about um, the clothes he was going to need to wear. Um, for I can't remember what the appointment was for. Was it a something to do with music or church? I can't remember what it was, but he was going to have to wear a suit, and this expectation of how he was going to have to dress to because of what society expects of him, how he should be, is going to follow him through his entire life. Mm. Um, that defines your value to the society. But the the other thing I just really thought was fascinating in terms of enlightening me as to who Earn was, was his relationship with bullies and bullying. And it reminded me a lot of Tracy, actually. So, when these boys are harassing him or ha- harassing this other boy who are both wearing these FUBU, yellow FUBU shirts, the, the way they do it, they just, for nothing but because they can and because it's fun and entertaining to them, they pick on them and the effect it has on these kids who are powerless to do anything about it except to try and avoid it at all costs Mm. and get away from it, but they can't. I thought spoke so much to how Ern responded to Tracy in the episode before. What did you think? Yeah, I mean, I had anxiety throughout this episode, (laughs) but I was also fascinated at how quickly I felt in the space that the show had taken me into. Like I felt like I was back at high school. Mm. I, as much as it's, it seems to be low stakes of like, oh, they're trying to find out who's got the fake shirt, but it feels like life and death because that's yeah. how it feels when you're that age. If people see you as a fraud, then 
it will, you know, you'll never live it down. Like that's going to be the defining moment of your life. This is going to be who you're seen as forever. Um, And that is such a traumatizing experience, I think, for a lot of people. And it certainly um, influences the way Earn acts in the present that we have Mm -hmm. seen him. Um, He is all about wanting some sort of power. Um, We see that when he can't spend his his hundreds, um, he Mm -hmm. is very upset because he thought that would be the thing the way the yellow the yellow fubu shirt would be the thing that defined him as a powerful cool black man and it doesn't it ends up diminishing him and i i think that can be incredibly frustrating and humbling but to be humbled as a child oftentimes mm. means to be completely diminished and affects your self-worth um yeah like it was i mean the the it's such a small it seems until like towards the very end it seems like such a small situation but we are able to see how affecting it is to the character how traumatizing it can be to kind of want to live up to these ideals and failing whether those ideals are correct and whether you should be striving for them or not is not the point. It's the fact that, you know, these are the things that are respected within the community. These are the mm. things that will make me feel a part of the community. And no matter how hard I try, I just like can never get there. Like that can be incredibly harmful. And I think obviously through what we've seen has been very harm- harmful to earn. What do you think of the resolution of the just the FUBU plot in terms of a couple of things happen? Al sort of comes into bat for Earn, mm. which is very nice of him. Mm-hmm. But in doing so, deflects the attention off Earn onto this other kid with the FUBU shirt. And unfortunately, due to that action, that kid, and not it's only obviously not just solely that action. There's a sounds like there's a pretty complicated family history going on there as well. But that kid takes his own life, which is a huge consequence. Yeah. Um, obviously there's a commenting comment just on bullying in general in there as well on a surface level. But what did you feel like the show was trying to say there? Or did you think it was trying to say anything about Al? Because I don't know about you, but I thought Al, young Al seemed unaffected by the news um, and certainly didn't, at the very at the very least, didn't seem to connect the dots that he may have somehow been tangentially involved in this kid taking his own life. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I think I need to watch it again and really have a good hard look at the episode. Um, in conjunction with like the rest of the season, but I I think that does speak to Al's ability to not see the connection between his actions and consequences. Mm-hmm. I think he sees a lot of what's going on around him, but I don't think he necessarily has the ability to see his own role within what's happening around him. It's a, it's the same thing that goes back to you know. Hiring Tracy as your bodyguard, probably not a great idea. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's kind of like the stepping off point of like where a lot of things went wrong. And while certainly Earn has a huge part to play in what went wrong as well, you know, I don't, I don't think Al is ever capable of being like, huh, 
maybe I shouldn't have done that. Same thing of like, you know, with the barbershop thing, like he just kind of goes along with things and doesn't really stop to pause and reflect on things. Um, So I think that probably, I think that's pretty accurate of his character. What it says on um, a deeper level, I'm not sure whether or not I can, because I think I will rewatch season two to again and find a deeper meaning um maybe or maybe that's going to be reflected in season three who knows okay cool all right let's move on to the last episode episode 11 the third i think of again the the parts of the final act of this season earn alfred and darius get ready to go on tour in europe and the first thing i want to talk about is the oh well not the opening scene but the scene but with uh, Ern and Van going to the school to talk with um, Lottie, is it? Lottie, the name of the child? Yes. Yep. Her teacher, and they're going there to have a, a private little conference with her, and they're expecting bad news and find out that she's actually excelling. In fact, she's probably ahead of where she you would expect her to be at this age. And because of that, she they should consider or are highly encouraged to send her to a private school where they can sort of nurture her gifts rather than let her languish back with the pack um, at the school that she's currently at, which I thought was really interesting, mainly because often I think it's very easy to make uh, a parental drama about a child who is struggling Mm -hmm. at school, but to find the sort of trapped... um, nature the struggle that comes along with trying to support a kid who is gifted from a financial perspective from trying to give because you want your child to thrive and you want to give them every possible chance of succeeding so to find out that your child is capable not just capable of succeeding but capable of excelling and then feeling the pressure to support them in that you've clearly never watched Gilmore Girls because that's what it's all about I have not watched Gilmore Girls much at all, so there you go. So no, but I haven't seen. I haven't seen a lot of that personally. I just thought it was a really interesting, like, articulation of that idea. What do you think? Uh, w- about that first scene, specifically? just that scene specifically. Yeah, no, I I think because Ern has had such low stakes throughout the season, like I feel like he's just bumbling along. I think it's important to real remind the audience as well as earn that he has a young girl to provide for who mm-hmm. potentially has a fantastic rich future and that requires in America money you need mm-hmm. money to go to these private schools to go to college you need a lot of money and you know Time is passing. She, sure, can stay another year in this school, but that is probably not going to be the best thing for her and he needs to start thinking about that. So, the end of this scene, there's a conversation between Van and um, and Ern at the car. He's putting Lottie back in the car. They're sort of talking to each other about who maybe is the, where she gets her smarts from and stuff. And... I don't know about you, but I started getting a really ominous feeling about this episode. There was something about the way it was happening. This almost this sense of like goodbye like or finale. understanding a finality about it. I was like, I'm a bit worried. I don't know where this is going. 
after this, which was only made worse because earlier we know that they found this gun, this gold <laughs> gun again that came up in episode one and was in his fucking backpack. And the entire time I was like, I just don't trust where this is going. And part of that's just fueled by the fact that I am aware of what's happening, these sort of injustices of the law that happen with African-American men in particular in the United States currently where they seem to be gunned down for fuck all reason at all, let alone if you happen to have a gun on you, God knows what's going to happen to you in those situations. Um, so, I just had this impending sense of dread. I don't know. Did you feel that as well or not really? No, I, I didn't in that particular scene. I, I, I got a sense of finality, but it felt like finality about the rela- the romantic relationship between Ern and Val. But I didn't get a did- sinister vibe from it, no. Well, the thing that for me was actually there was a sense of a little bit of like hope. I, I really believe a lot of what's happening, if there's anything happening this season, it's possibly maybe Ern starting to really come to terms with him, his shortcomings and starting to grow up a little bit, maybe, including maybe starting to understand the importance of his relationship with Van. And so there's a part of me not expecting it to happen, but hoping maybe that this was a sign of him starting to, um, yeah, come to appreciate her and maybe want to have what she wanted that they talked about in Helen. Yeah, I think Um, in next season we'll probably have that journey. I don't get a sense of that journey this season. I think this is the fall and then next season we'll have the rise again. Oh, I I, I agree with you there, but it was more that this scene tended to – I thought it it gave a glimmer, like it Mm. suggested something hopeful, which was the bit that got me dreading. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah, you you never want to hear hope before, uh, you know, the thing's over. Otherwise, you'd be like, oh, it's dashed. Fabulous. Yeah, it's going to be dashed. That was my my real worry. And then the rest of the episode is a lot of it is spent just this sort of Damocles hanging over Ern's head, it feels like. pronounced Damascules. Ha, ha, ha. Uh, you should have seen the, the face that was pulled. It was fabulous. The that um, that he that uh, Al is going to fire him basically, mm. and there's this feeling of inevitability that's mm-hmm. going to happen when they get to Europe. It's going to happen. Yeah. Um, just before that, though, did you feel like when Earn like he's trying to help Darius with his passport, and then he's fucking useless. Um, but also the bit with the movers and how the movers are stopping to like eat at three o'clock and all this bullshit and earns like, I'll pay you 50 extra dollars or I paid him $10 to take the van back and stuff like this. Did you find that to be a step of Ern starting to learn maybe how to actually do his fucking job? Absolutely. Yeah. When he was like, <laughs> instead of just being complacent about the whole thing, which is, you know, and Ern's MO, it's like, uh, whatever. Oh, oh God, it's too hard, whatever. Um, the fact that he was like, I'll, I'll pay you a little bit more. Just just get it done. And then he comes back and he's like, all right, Darius, you know this place. Let's go there. Let's get it done. He's asking that Jewish guy about advice, about which lawyer to go for. Like he's yeah. doing his fucking research, trying to get a greater understanding of what it means to be an entertainment lawyer. Like, yeah, absolutely. I think he's realized how, yeah, the precarious nature of his business relationship with Al. Absolutely. And I think he needed that wake up. He needed that wake up of like, no, we're not just cousins. Like, you need to be working for me. You need to earn your keep. Um, So, yeah, I think. Oh, classic joke. Um, (laughs) Yeah, no, I think that fire has been lit underneath his bum, um, which speaks 
to the fact that it's been so lit under his bum that he's willing to put a gun in a, another man's bag at the airport. So this is where we the the show ends up. He we get to the airport. They've been rushing, rushing, rushing to get there. They're just rushing to get onto the plane because it's about to take off. They're going through TSA, and Earn remembers, even though you're seeing they're going, Earn, you fucking idiot. <laughs> they still got that goddamn gun in his back. I didn't remember until Earn happen. remembered, and then I was like, Oh my god. Oh, I was, I was so just like, stressed. Oh I was god. as soon as they were at the TSA, I was like, Oh fuck, what's going to happen? So again, dread. What what goes down in this situation? And what he does, we find out, <laughs> is he puts the gun in the bag of the manager of um, Clark, Clark County, um, uh, which we don't find out until they're on the plane. The Al saw him and has the, a conversation with him again, sort of reminiscent of the one they had on the couch in episode nine, mm. about, well, what was interesting, and correct me if I'm wrong, Al was saying that Earn, this is a great example of what how Earn fucks things up. Yeah. This is, it's shit like this. But he was also, I thought, saying that he's not going to fire him. Is that the impression that you got as well? Like, well, okay. So the way the scene played, played out in my mind was Al, was Al was like, I know you had a gun in your bag because he asked for like a bin at the TSA. That's right. Um, so it's presumed that he's put the gun in. The bin, which I believe Al, is, that's what he thought he did. So his whole thing is like, I saw you do this huge fuck up in which you brought a gun to the TSA. Um, and that's the kind of shit I'm talking about when I'm talking about how you always fuck up. And that's probably the reason I'm going to fire you. But we, you know, we are cousins. You know who I am. And I fucking respect that. And then yeah. we have Clark County or whatever come pa- come past and be like, oh, you know, a gun was found in my manager's bag. And then, you know, that's when we have that moment between Al and Earn, Earn kind of acknowledging the fact that like, like I'm actually capable of quite a lot and I don't think you quite know what I'm capable of. But even if there is a shit situation, trust me, I know how to fucking handle it. And he kind of did. I don't think that's 100% accurate Fair because enough. of the the last line from Earn is very specific. Mm. He says, the gun was in Clark's bag, right? Meaning it was in the rapper's bag. Meaning that Clark's, Clark's manager saved his fucking ass uh, and did his job. Okay. So, while Earn is a problem maker... His major is a problem solver. And I just saw that more as just being like the last sort of example of where Earn what Earn's problem is, right? This is the this is the illustration in whole cloth of how what why Earn is an issue. Um, that doesn't mean I still think that I still think the way that Paperboy was talking to him, Al was talking to him, that he was reassuring him that I'm gonna he's gonna keep him around, even though they had a conversation how the family thing wasn't enough. I think mm. that whole idea that you know me was important to him, as we yeah. talked about in as you mentioned and referenced to him the barbershop episode, which I think is right. But that last bit was just like one last little like example of the difference, what how how much Ernie's failing at the moment as his manager. So, up okay, for his so why would Ern say that to him then? 
I just don't understand. So if he's on the verge of being fired, I'm not sure how that helps his case in any way. I don't. Uh, yeah, no, I don't understand. That scene no longer makes any sense. Well, to me. the thing, the thing, the thing is, Earn doesn't necessarily see it that way. It's more that's what the, how the audience is meant to to read it. Earn's just relaying the situation. It was confusing to him as well when he, ex- he explained what he understood the situation to be. Um, but he didn't necessarily because Earn sometimes is oblivious to things like why he shouldn't have done this thing with the Instagram girl that when they stayed with them. Like he's he's not always aware of his fuck ups completely. Or why no, this would I, reflect no, I, more no, poorly I, on him. I disagree with that. I don't think he's oblivious at all. I think he's quite savvy. I just think he's lazy and will always go for the easiest option. Um, uh, but I don't so think it's true like, either. If, if, he, if the easiest option just would have been buying a hotel room, he was trying to save money and was a, and saw what he thought was a smart move was a bad... I'm talking about the bit with the Instagram girl and staying on the dorm. He's, what he thought was a smart move was actually a dumb move. Like, that was... He thought he was doing the right thing. He was he was oblivious to why that was actually a bad thing. Otherwise, he just would have spent the money and got them Yeah, I mean, stay. that that's what I mean by the easiest move, which is like, you know, when you think that you, you're kind of um, outplaying everyone else, being like, oh, I'm going to do this. No one else thought about doing this, which is like, instead of paying mm, for okay. a hotel room, I'm going to stay with a chicken. I don't have to pay for anything. Like, that's like a way easier way to do it. Um, you know, I think he's, he feels like he's out savvying everyone else. I just, yeah, no, that, okay, you've really confused that last scene for me. So I think I need to rewatch it. Is it, is it possible that he put it in Clark's bag thinking that, um, he was going to stop him from headlining that fit tour and actually get. Yeah, Paper no, Boy. like I, I totally get that. That being the motivation, I just don't understand the telling that to Al to try and, and, and earn because points because like, he thought he was doing the right thing. Is a sense of pride, and I don't understand the motivation. Then, do you think that was pride? I thought it was exasperation. I mean, exasperation from, what? Oh, oh, sorry, sorry. You mean from Earn? From Earn, yeah. I didn't think it was pride. I thought it was just matter of fact. I mean, is, I mean, is was, Earn a sociopath? Is that what we're meant to think? Because he, he seems so cool, calm and collected about it. I just, I just, thought, he, I just thought he whispered it to him because he didn't want to say it too loud in case someone heard. I didn't, I didn't read any so real like- emotion behind it except to be matter of fact and just tell him that's what he did. Mm. A, because he was trying to suggest that he had tried to help him out but failed. And then B, ultimately, because the show is making another point as to why the, the difference between Earn as a manager versus uh, County's manager. That's how I read it. Right. I, I feel like re-watching this scene now, but <laughs> I, I, wa- I mean, I watched it twice because I was trying to figure that out as well. Yeah. I was double checking like who's who and those sorts of things, getting the names right. And I really thought that's what that's what had happened. The only extra motivation I can see there is the um, that he was trying to, by removing County from this situation, by having it so he couldn't go, that Paperboy would end up headlining. Mm. It would be better for his his business, and the thing, even in that that panic moment, to a save his own back, but then b to help his client or his his artist, it was still foiled by just a manager who was doing his job in the first place. Like, it's, it's better, better to just be on your game than trying to turn a shit sandwich into gold. 
And that's the difference between Earn and where Earn's at as a major versus mm. where Clark's, Clark County, wherever his name's major's at. I don't know. I now really want to rewatch that scene, <laughs> but we need to keep moving on. Okay. Um, did you have any other thoughts about this episode and the way the episode or the season ended? Nah, that's it for me. All right, cool. Let's move into final thoughts. Any last words? Final thoughts. That's why you always leave a note. Do you have any side notes for me at all, Damas? No, nah, I don't. I didn't. I just remembered one last thing I wanted to say. Fuck you, Tracy, at the end. I was really happy to see him not be able to get back into the house at the end as well. Because <laughs> I hate Tracy. Anyway, um, all right. Favorite, or let's go with your least favorite episode, Damask. All right. My least favorite episode is Barbershop. Um, now, it's still very good and the performances are fantastic, but I found it more annoying um, and subsequently less intoxicating than the other episodes. And that's perhaps because I don't have a barber. Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, cutting my long straight hair doesn't require much skill, so I don't need to remain loyal to someone. Um, so I don't have that kind of attachment. Uh, so because of that, I experienced so much frustration with Al's choice to go along with the barber's hijinks. Uh, I get that it informed his character like we spoke about earlier. I totally understand that and I appreciate that. But I, throughout this episode, and I'm just thinking of these episodes as singular entities, um, I was just annoyed the whole time. And the amount of annoyance I felt wasn't balanced with the ent- entertainment provided. So that's why. But all great episodes. I agree. My It's also my least favorite episode. Um Pretty much with what you're saying, I, I thought it was a very entertaining episode. It was just, it was cute and silly, but it wasn't a whole lot more than that. Thinking back on it now, it does reveal some things about Al that are interesting, but it's one of the slighter, less mm-hmm. involving episodes for me as an audience member. Favorite episode, Damask? Now, this was a genuinely hard choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for a long time, I was thinking, oh, I mean, Teddy Perkins is mm. the obvious choice. Choice. I think it's a perfect example of this show doing what it does well in the best way it has ever done it. Um, but, you know, in, in saying that, all of these episodes are either very good to great. So, and I did love Teddy Perkins. I really did love it. But I am going to go with North of the Border. Right. Um. And it's mostly because of that scene between Ern and Al. I mean, this was a moment that has been building since season one. This is when Al and Ern have an honest discussion about their business relationship. When things broke apart between them, I remember thinking like, oh shit, this is going to genuinely affect how things roll out from here on out. Um And I also love the way in which we see the two sides thinking that the other is at fault. And both both of those sides, I think, are really well justified. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the the fracture that was created was heart-wrenching. But I was also, as we went along the adventures of the episode, I was very much engaged. I found the fraternity terrifying but also hilarious to watch. Um, yeah, no, I, I was, I was in the adventure, um, and also, but mostly it's the culmination of that Ern and Al friendship, um, that, that, that 
scene that they have together that made me go, oh, this, this episode hit me. What about you? I've also had a hard time picking which is my favorite episode. I'm going to ultimately go with Helen, though, episode four. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's really funny at times. There's, like I said, the stuff with the the ball game they're playing, especially that joke about the black face, the woman thinks <laughs> man in black face. Fuck, that made me laugh so much just because how awkward that was. And then the breakdown of the relationship between Ern and mm, Van was really well articulated, really well realized, mm. really well explored. The conversations, what I love as well is it was a great example of the the writing and how strong it is because so much of it's not just about what's being said, it's about what's not being said. Mm-hmm. And that's such a good, that's, what, that's a sign of great writing is knowing yeah is is how do i how to express things without just being said out loud oh this is how i feel or this is what this is what happened i love that yeah. i think it's a great episode that being said they were pretty much all great episodes um between this and the first season i'm guessing you think this is the better of the two i do yeah I think they're on a pre-level playing field. I think season two is great. I think it's more even overall in the first season. There might have been just something a little bit because the first season was so surprising and fresh and new to me. It's similar to Deadpool, actually, funnily enough. I'm not saying it's better. I think I just feel they're on about the same level. I'd have a hard time separating them. I'm a very big fan of this mm. show as it is, though. Do I you have any predictions, hopes, sorry, I just, or concerns? Sorry, I just want to talk to that for a second. I think because I feel like we had come off... Like we'd done a bunch of like Louie and stuff and this time sure. of like Master of None. Um, so when we were watching the first season, I really felt the influences of particularly mm-hmm. Louie in, in season one of Atlanta. But mm-hmm. this season felt so much its own thing. Sure, sure. Um, that I was just like mesmerized by it. Yeah, that's why. They are that's very why. confident and self-assured Absolutely. the way they're making this show. Yeah. I do love, I respect that a lot. Mm-hmm. Do you have any predictions, hopes or concerns for the show going forward? Um, I have concerns that I'm not going to like the third season as much as I like the second. Oh, what a horrible concern that is. <laughs> but How no, could you I mean, possibly top this? It's hard to predict. I don't know. I'm, I'm always bad at this section because I don't like to look ahead. I just like to enjoy the journey I've been on. What about sure. you? Sure. Um, I, the only thing I have is I hope it comes back because at this stage it hasn't been announced. It's not confirmed. Oh, no. Mainly, I think it's because I think Dog Lover is one of the most busy people on in art at the moment. I'll just say that because he's over all sorts of mediums. I don't know how, it fucking, how he fucking does it. I, I don't I know have either. no idea. Dan Harmon has always said that Donald Glover was the hardest working person on community, and I believe it 110%. Mm. The guy doesn't seem to have an off button. So that's my only hope. I just I just hope we get a third season because I would love to see it. Uh, that's it, I think. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Hunting Seasons. If you'd like to contact us, you can do so via our website, huntingseasonspodcast.com. You can email us at contact at huntingseasonspodcast.com. You can tweet us at huntingscast. Cast, you can find myself, Broderick Gordis, on Twitter at B Gordis, B G O R D E S, where this week I've mainly been liking tweets from the racist watchdog, which is my new favorite <laughs> Twitter account, which is what basically is just a account that barks and woofs at racist tweets. It's fantastic. <laughs> well, that sounds very funny. What about you, Damask? How can people reach you on Twitter? Um, you can find me at Maskimu, M A S K 
M double O. I'm actually just looking at my Facebook profile right now because I can't remember what I've written about. You had some great little comments about um, Picnic and Hanging Rock as was going along. Oh, yes. I, I was doing a little commentary as I was watching that because I, I just needed people to kind of scream out at the confusion of all of that um, over-filtered nonsense. Um, my only thing, I guess, was the fact that Jennifer Aniston, I tweeted about, you know, will play America's first female president in Netflix's first ladies with one oh, Sippy's yeah. Tignataro. So I'm, I'm intrigued by that. That sounds like an exciting project. Um, that but does. Yeah. I'm sorry I didn't bring that up in Off Topic Hot Topic. Yeah, no, I, I totally forgot as well. But yeah, just been tweeting about, you know, I guess, pop culture news. Very cool. Thank you to Sean Kirkpatrick, a.k.a. at Shawnee Boy Draws, for his logo and design work. You can find his work uh, yeah, on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you to Jordan Calavis for our theme song and to Lucas Heil of Birthday Loyalty Club for our bumpers. Find links to their work in our show notes. If you enjoy what we do here, we'd really appreciate sharing the podcast with others who you think might also enjoy listening. We also appreciate your positive reviews on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or whatever podcast platform you prefer. Next week, we'll be back to discuss season one of Barry, the uh, comedy drama starring Bill Hader, which I am very, very looking forward yeah, to. I don't know about you, Damask. I'm super Me keen. Me too. I've just heard fantastic things about this first season. Um, nothing specific plot-wise, just that it's pretty great. So I can't wait. Um, and that's it. We'll see you next time. Thank you very much for listening. Catch you later. Bye. Earbuds, Melbourne's podcast network. EarbudsNetwork.com. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.